knowing that uh, things are going to get worse. The trail is uh, deteriorating and I have no idea if I'm going to be able to uh, even get down the other side so I may get up top and have to go back the way I came. But that's okay because uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, yeah, not everybody's kind of fun, but fun. In, in the bike packing community, we've seen it. We've seen it with, uh, you know, a few recent deaths. Um, you know, Ryan Corey is is an obvious one. We, and it it's sort of a, a push in the direction of when do you feel more alive than when you're pushing yourself to the the limit like yeah this was a total failure as far as a camping ride went but you know imagine how far ahead i am than the version of me in the alternate universe that didn't even you know stay home watch tv that's doug dunlop and welcome to the bike pack canada podcast Hey Steve and Bike Pack Canada listeners, this is Ryan Draper from sunny Canmore, Alberta, and uh, it is Saturday, March, I don't know, I think it's like March 29th or 30th, something like that, and I am currently floating down the Bow River uh, in my Cocopelli pack raft, and I've got my Trek 1120 strapped to the front of it. I rode to my uh, input and um, I'll be riding home after this. Just a few hours floating, a little short little ride to and from my, my put in and take out points. Um, loving the blue sky and the warm temperatures today and thought I'd uh, yeah, fire Steve a voice memo um, like he's been asking us so, uh, so kindly to do. Um, just kind of in the zone here probably hear the trickle of the water in the background it's a nice escape all right well that's it uh thanks for uh doing this steve You're doing a great job with the podcast last one was uh fantastic talk to you guys later heading up so not to pass and <laughs> my friends and i'm on the line for 5k or so, just to release a little bit of the pressure in the legs and feel connected to my friends. And it's uh, amazing sort of calming when you put this rope on each other, each other to feel that connection and bond and strength. Uh, someone else looking out for you. It's a pretty awesome feeling actually. Oh, feeling the love with those uh, voice intros. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. Thanks, Katrina and Ryan, for uh, sending me some voice intros. Uh, I think everyone loves living vicariously through other people's adventures, and I'm certainly one of those. So uh, a little bit jealous about the float and uh, super heartwarmed by uh, Katrina's voice memo about uh, just friendship, camaraderie. That's what this is all about, man. That's what I love doing this. Um, how's your spring going? 
man, it's so nice to get back on the dirt, wouldn't you say? I went for a little bit of a spin yesterday, uh, SRL, out to, sorry, out to Goldie Falls, and then uh, SRL, and it's super, super dry. Kind of scary dry, actually. I'm a little uh, concerned about the fire situation this year, but you know what? All we can do is just keep getting out there, keep getting after it, doing our thing, riding our bikes. Love it. Now the train's opening up, I guess everyone out there is probably going to start training for their racing uh, season or whatever summer trips you have planned. I signed up for the AR700 this year. Uh, I'm going to give that another go. Different route this year. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'll get out and do the old route, I'm sure, eventually. Um, since I scratched on it, I do want to do that again. And uh, yeah, I want to do the uh, the Lost Elephant this year, or try to. Maybe I can fit it in uh, in a weekend. <laughs> Maybe take a Monday and Friday off just to give me some buffer. Um, not that I'm going to do it that fast, but you never know. Time will tell. What do you have going on? If you're out there training, uh, pull out your phone, record me a voice memo, let everyone know how you're getting after it. This is your podcast after all, and I want to hear from you. So send your voice memos, feedback, and guest suggestions to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com and get them on the show. So yeah, thanks again, uh, Doug Dunlop, Ryan Draper, and Katrina Rosen for your clips. Um, You're going to hear more about Doug's adventure in a few minutes. Uh, Pretty awesome conversation coming up. Pretty excited about it. I have a few intros backed up, so if you don't hear your clip this time, rest assured, I'll get to it uh, in an upcoming podcast. So as I said um, before, we're kind of ramping up to trip season, racing season, and to celebrate, I've got so many conversations lined up for you guys. It's a great time to subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any of these convos. Um, I've spoken with Evan Deutsch, winner of last year's BC Epic 1000, as well as the BC Epic 1000 organizer, Leonard Pretorius. Um, I've spoken with Matthew Cady about the BT 700, Jonathan Hayward about his AR 700. Uh, I'm also have some time scheduled with Mark Sinclair about the cannonball 300 route in Southern Ontario and Cranbrook's Nathan Siemens about the lost elephant. There's lots of bike pack Canada podcasts to look forward to, and I'll try to get these out in the next little while to keep the stoke on and hope you enjoy listening while you're riding. All right, let's do this. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Doug Dunlop. You'll know him as at cold bike on Instagram. Uh, I sat down with him and his family. They were here in the East Kootenays to chat about all things winter camping. And this was a marathon. I super enjoyed having a conversation with this family. Uh, We covered a lot of topics and rather than list them all here, just dive into it. We had so many laughs and uh, had a great time hanging out with this uh, hardcore family of winter campers. Um, So we're almost getting to the three hour mark in this. So hang on. Uh, I didn't edit much out of this conversation because there was lots of really good stuff in here. So I wanted to leave it all in. Um, So yeah, pop your buds in, head out the door for a spin. You'll thank me later. And now I bring you Doug Dunlop. also said that they factor your ear, like this part of your ear into the cooling of the phone. So when you're talking on the phone, your ear is basically a radiator to cool the phone down. What do you think about that? (laughs) Is that pretty crazy? So you must know a lot about the trackers then. Do you have some pretty deep insight on what's going on with these trackers lately? I wouldn't say deep insight, but certainly I'm at least familiar with them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So of course, uh, you've seen my um, my uh, whining on the internet about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my, not whining. My, um, I got a spot about um what eight years ago 
maybe longer, 10 years ago. And um, I used it on trips just so Tanya could track me from place to place. And uh, she could know I was okay. And I went with the kids to the Chilcotins. And uh, I set the spot on track uh, to send tracking points every half hour or something. And so I set it on track and it was, uh, you know, didn't tell me anything about, you know, that it hadn't sent any tracking signals. Had the air light would be lit up some of the time, but mostly it seemed fine. And then uh, I got to, after seven days of riding, got to the lodge and uh, phoned Tanya on the payphone at the lodge. And Tanya said, oh, what did you forget your spot in the car? It hadn't moved? It hadn't uh, <laughs> sent a signal, a single point, the whole, uh, until we got to the, the parking lot of the lodge at the end. And uh, so that was the end of the line for for spot for me. You ditched it? I, I ditched it. Um, first, I, I tried their tech support. And to call their tech support, tech support is pretty generous yeah um and it's more like a, a level a tier one call center right? tier tier one call center and there was no way to escalate it and they had no ability to get any diagnostics on it to tell you so you could get feedback you know what's my signal level are my how many of my last points got transmitted when was the last point transmitted nothing like that it would just tell you it was trying um and then the light would light up when it failed but if you weren't paying close attention and fiddling with the tracking then you you didn't really know that every single one was failing yeah and you don't really know until you get either to where you're going or talk to someone who you're supposed to be you know yeah. keeping contact with yeah and so i initially thought oh oh well you know it's just my unit it's you know, a couple of years old and, and, uh, the tier one support actually tried to tell me that, uh, <laughs> th that, oh, the, they wear out, you know, <laughs> so I explained mm. solid state electronics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Uh, actually. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, uh, so, so yeah, I, I explained this to them and, Oh, that, that was total news to them. And um, so then I was sort of considering, oh, yeah, I could get this uh, next generation of, of spot tracker and, you know, maybe that would fix my problem. Then my friend happened to be riding up the same part of the Chilcotins and his brand new generation spot tracker did the same thing. Did the exact same That's thing. funny. I was talking, uh, so in Sarah's podcast that, that I just did, we were talking briefly about the tracker thing because I was wondering what she carried. And um, I, I, I had commented that, I, I said that they don't have a very, I, I feel like they don't have a very strong receiver. And, and, you know, I meant more like transmitter receiver. Like you can't really throw those things in your pocket like you can your Garmin. Like you can throw your Garmin in a backpack and it'll, yeah. it'll track you. Where yeah. those I don't think have the same power. They, they don't seem to. I, I think part of the issue is um, just they have more blind spots because they're... Now, I, I'm not the expert on this, but my, what I'm told well, is that they're... 
what I'm told is that their satellites are in uh, geosynchronous orb orbit, so they don't move relative to the Earth. So if they have a blind spot, that blind spot is always a blind spot. So imagine right. a shadow. If the sun never moved, that shadow would never move. Right. It's so, geosynchronous. Like it yeah. Follows the earth. It follows the earth, and so their shadow, their hidden spots, never moves. So, where they have a blind spot, for instance, the South Chilcotins, um, they never, they never track. And if you look on the the Spot Adventure site and search on Spot Adventures in the South Chilcotins, there's you can see where those spots are. It's consistent. There's a couple of valleys that, that they don't touch. That's so interesting. I know that as I was mentioning uh, when I was on the BC Epic, it's Sarah and I were chatting that there was a point at which my uh, it, it looked like I got into an airplane. Yeah, it's, it basically like you know you're following the trail and then suddenly it's just a beeline from one spot. It was hours. Like it, yeah. it, it might have corresponded with maybe a slope I was riding on, putting me in a shadow. I didn't yeah. really analyze it that much, but a lot of people, like a couple of guys I was in and around, had the same track and i wonder if those were all spots and all the people who are accurate were maybe a different it it could very well be and you know when you talk about it was hours for you well had you been riding with a uh, four-year-old uh it might have been days yeah yeah right yeah exactly <laughs> because, really good point you know they're they're south chilcotin's 10 kilometers is, is a pretty good day with a four-year-old sure is yeah and um you'd have no way you'd have no way so if you're you're out for 30 kilometers then um you know you're not getting tracking and my spot was a gen 3 so that's i think the newest one other than the mini they have the new yeah the bi-directional bi yeah yeah i mean which looks really good but i've had that now for uh five years i guess with the um with the uh inreach and uh yeah i switched to the inreach and I haven't looked back. It's the battery on my original inReach stopped necessarily working. And the original inReach had a reset sequence, but the reset sequence um, required that you know what it was and it wasn't written on the back of it. Whereas the, the new generation inReaches actually tell you it's, it's engraved oh, I see. on the back clip how to reset it so they didn't tell you before was it a they told secret? you it was no it was in the manual but um i didn't bring the manual right. to the back country it's too bulky yes <laughs> too bulky too heavy didn't have it and so there were yeah there were a couple of trips um you know where, where tanya didn't necessarily know where i was and uh and you know, if I if I leave her at home, I I like to let her know where I am. Well, yeah, it, it's supposed to give you peace of mind. It's supposed yeah. to give everyone peace of mind. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's not necessarily you know. I guess it could be for me. I could need help one day, but mostly it's not. Mostly it's for Tanya's peace of mind. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're confident. Sometimes it feels like, why am I carrying this thing? Yeah, you know, I don't really, uh, you know, there's there's going to be, but there's a chance. Right. There's, that there's always could, that chance. You know, it's so funny. Like, you know, I'm sure you've been riding bikes forever. And those those little stupid falls oh, that yeah. just, you know, you get off your bike and you tweak your ankle. And it's like, well, how does that happen? 
Yeah. You know? And I wasn't even really, do, quote unquote, doing any. I was JRA, just riding along. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and now my ankle's busted. Yeah. And I can't get out. Yeah. yeah or, or knees. Um, you know, I, I do a lot in the snow. And so often you'll, you'll have your, you know, you'll be buried up to your, th- you know, uh, yeah. calf in snow and you'll go to swing your leg over the bike. Well, there's a lot of momentum and then there's a lot of, um, a lot of inertia on the ground holding your, your ankle, uh, in ah, one direction, your foot in one direction. So it's really easy to twist your knee sideways and, yeah. um, that's why yeah. it's so important to work on strength and mobility. I've been yeah. working on that because I feel old. I feel so inflexible. <laughs> I'm gonna throw my throw my leg over my bike and, eh, and like pull a hernia or something. Yes, that's what happens when you're 47. Yeah, you get all broken down. Yeah. <laughs> How old yeah. are you, Fiona? Eleven. Eleven, and you're hardcore. I told you that earlier. You're hardcore. I see pictures of you riding your bike in the snow and the ice, and that's rad. Have you I ever ridden your bike on snow? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. have. Have you ever gone on weekend trips in the snow? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the lowest temperature you've slept in? Um, minus 33, I think. Minus 33? Yeah, it's hard to tell that. Um, my old uh, REI thermometer that I had on that trip, um, it didn't have as much uh, stick below the scale to tell you <gasps> did you get a tick where'd you pull that out of on the ground in your hair i should let you know there was actually a uh, i don't know if it was on facebook or some some because some of the parents were saying oh yeah i pulled three ticks off my kid it's pretty ticky down here actually yes. especially yeah. on the coach road yeah, yeah. We, we did actually notice that the coach road was very grassy and we did do a hair check through Fiona's hair for ticks. Yes, she's usually our our prime. You're the t- oh, you're full of ticks. <laughs> our prime tick collector. You know why? It's because you're not very tall. You're closer to the ground, yes. so it's, you're an easy target. Where Tig is like, what are you like six five? Look at you, man. <laughs> he's, he's a tall guy. He's a tall kid. He's he's a tall kid. Oh, that's funny. And minus thirty three. That's awesome. So it was yeah, it was minus thirty something. Yeah, the scale only went to minus thirty, and there was. Uh, the little ball on the bottom of the thermometer was about half full. Oh, I saw that. You posted that. <laughs> that yeah. was, no, that was, the, that, was that one your was uh, my trip. That was this weekend. This was five years ago. No, You're six. six. Yeah. You just turned six. And so we rode out. Um, actually, we skied that trip. We did not ride. Like you kind of tour out? Uh, yeah, school, just skins, just right? six kilometers in, just on cross country ski trails. Oh, nice. There's there's a bunch of really good, um, accessible backcountry ski campgrounds in Banff National Park awesome. that you can ski into, or you can bike into them into a bunch of them. I think I like to start getting my kids on snowshoes first. They're still pretty young to be going out. Like I don't, yeah, I think the snowshoe thing would work for them. We're trying to yeah. get them into skiing maybe next year cross country. Yeah, see for for Fiona the cross country skis were her favorite and and there's at least two maybe three or four trails that are relatively flat track set and they and they give you an easy bailout right. um, where they're you know five six kilometers in from the trailhead. Um, you know, you don't want to be taking your six-year-old on a 
you know, traversing avalanche terrain or anything yeah, like that. Preferably not. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a bunch of, of fairly accessible terrain that avoids all that. And, uh, yeah, it gives you a lot of options. Yeah. Um, where do you guys go mostly for your trips? Do you go into Canmore or in that area? Uh, Canmore area, Banff National Park. Um, my Probably my favorite area is the East Kananaskis just because I can be. Yeah, Peter Lougheed Park is good too. Uh, more for day hikes. Less, yeah, more for day hikes um, and less for winter bike trips. Um, the East Kananaskis has the, the elbow loop. Um, I, I call it the elbow loop extension where they close uh, the last 12 kilometers of highway. And then there's about uh, four more kilometers of uh, road to the trailhead and they close all that. Oh, wow. And, and they don't maintain it or they'll just be like, they don't maintain it. There's usually a um, park truck, uh, sometimes a park snowmobile. Yeah. There's a trapper that works a line back there. Oh, cool. And then once you get onto the elbow loop proper, it is actually a snowmobile legal trail, but it's um, probably the least popular snowmobile trail. The scenery is gorgeous, but it's yeah. about a hundred kilometer round trip. Mm, it's a big day for the or, snowmobiles. Sorry, the big trip, yeah, big big trip for a snowmobile. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it gives you some some great options as far as yeah, you can you can ride in, go around the loop, and and ride out, and you know you get a about a. Um, uh, it's nearly 70 kilometers total. And um, yeah, I seldom see anyone back there. And the scenery is just phenomenal. Yeah. The um, And it, there would be no one in there. No really. one. No one really. You know, sometimes on the weekend you'll hear or see some snowmobiles go by on Saturday. And, you know, that's it. Like if you see two snowmobiles go by, that's the traffic for the weekend. A um, couple of times, Tig and I have been up there where we've seen the uh, park rangers going in to do training courses and whatnot. Oh, right. Yeah. They'll snowmobile into the, there's a backcountry hut that they have that they can, they can stay in back there. And uh, uh, once in a while you see the trapper. He's usually only down there on, on weekdays. Um, so when we've done it as like a three day trip, um, you know, once in a while we see the trapper, but that's about it. Right. So what kind of sleep system would, would you guys have? Do you guys all use the same winter sleep system? Uh, no, we've got a pretty wide variety. Um, uh, Fiona and I have, um, minus 10 sleeping bags. And then I made us some camping quilts. Uh, the Costco quilts? No, these ones are, I, I do have some quilts that I made out of Costco quilts. These ones are, uh, they're a synthetic. They're the... Um, uh, oh, Primaloft? No, not Primaloft. What's the other one? The fancy better one that needs less support in the middle. And it's called... Which one? Apex. Uh, the insulation in your quilt. Come on, hardcore. You don't know? Something. 
Some, something Apex. <clears throat> you can look it up. Um, so do you, you buy the raw materials? Then I buy the raw, raw cool materials, then. and and I, I, you know, I do some of that for money. I, I make bogeys and whatnot. Right. Oh, you're using that material for your. And for your so I, um, I'm not using that material for the, for the pogies because I find it makes them just too warm for oh, most, yeah. most people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I try and aim for a happy medium with pogies so that if it's minus 10, your hands aren't getting all sweaty. Right. And, you know, then if it goes down to minus 20, maybe you put on a light pair of gloves. I try and have enough room in there that you can then have some, some real mittens if it's going to be minus 30 Super or 40. cold. Yeah, I, I, I'm using the 45 North ones. Yeah. And they're they're pretty good. Um, when it gets down to minus 30, I mean, I usually can get away with a with like a, a wool. Yeah. Like a defeat wool glove. Yeah. And uh, that'll take me to, to minus 30. But then depending on the effort, if you're just cruising, your hands will stay warm. But if you start to sweat just a little <laughs> bit, your hands start getting really cold in them. And I, I, I usually don't bring, I mean, I bring a backup glove yeah. to, to throw on. But uh, people still are on the fence about pogies. And I think it's a game changer. I mean, if you're going to go riding in minus 20, even minus yeah. 10, it's just comfy, right? You don't have to wear big bulky gloves that, that actually your hand will get too hot in. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely, um, they were a total game changer. My first pair of pogies I made was in 1997. Mm, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, I, I made them... Um, you know, back back then, the the technology uh, hadn't advanced. Like the, there were no polished ones, like the forty five North or the Revolute yeah. ones. And uh, yeah, uh, I sort of ba- made them to meet my needs. And so I said, well, you know, what do I want in a pogey? One of the things I I really thought would be handy in them was uh, to be able to put snacks in there. For sure. And then they stole your idea. You should have patented that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so so mine mine were were literally big enough. I could I could fit um, my in my right pokey, I could fit a family size bag of Cheetos. And uh, What? Really? Where? <laughs> like down just, underneath just the lever. Down down in the uh, in the front, yeah, underneath <laughs> the lever. That's awesome. And then I had uh, slip in blue foam camping uh, mattress pieces oh, yeah, yeah. that I'd slip in the front and they kept the wind off my hands. They gave me an insulation boost. And then they also, if I wanted to, I could put one under my shoulder, one under my hip, which are your two, if you have an inflatable pad, those are your two pressure points. Those are the only two places that your body ends up compromising the insulation in a in an inflatable pad right so i put one under my shoulder one under my hip and boom that would keep those two pieces um off the ground with an essentially or difficult to compress material you must be a quiet sleeper because those would be halfway across the campground yeah i tried to do that i I put them uh i i I tucked them under the uh the sleeping pad right and oh that's it's a good idea. Yeah, tuck them in under the sleeping pad, and uh, I still use that uh, from time to time. They're also those blue foam pieces are good for sitting on if you want to stop and have a snack. Because there was two of them, I could actually slip those pogies over my boots. 
Right. And then I was standing on blue oh, camping nice. foam to keep my feet insulated from the from the ground. So if I stopped to to melt some snow for water, or even to if I took water out of a creek, I generally boiled it, or tried to warm it up enough so that it wasn't going to instantly uh, freeze, or so I didn't have a cold hunk of water in my right. hydration pack against my body. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd throw these uh, these pogies on my feet. And um, I love the idea of multi-use. I think yeah. that's so brilliant. I think that's one of the things I, I came across early on when, again, I'm, I'm new or I'm pretty new, was pick stuff that you can use in multiple different ways. Like, I think that's why I chose a tarp. As, yeah. as, a, as much of a hassle as it can be to erect sometimes, like depending on where you want to sleep and stuff. I mean, you can pitch it off of so, in so many different ways. Yeah. But, but the idea of, um, like, I actually used the tarp as the dry bag for all my front stuff. So I basically kind of made a little package and put it right into my, my MCA harness and yeah. it was perfect. It was like waterproof. And then that blue foam thing, I, I found one that was just randomly around the house and I was like, Holy crap. That's what a find. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I went, I mean, it wasn't that cold when I went a couple of weeks ago, it, it really wasn't that cold, but I was sleeping on ice. Like I yeah. was sleeping on compact ice and I had, uh, like my ground sheet and then mylar foam, uh, just a, a zero R rated, yeah. like a non R rated uh, pad, inflatable pad that uh, climate yeah, yeah, static yeah. V. Those those are great because they're, they're super light. comfy too. They're comfy. They're yeah. light. And they and I'm I'm a if I didn't have that pad again I'd be sleeping on the ground because that yeah. pad seems to keep me on. I'm I'm a restless sleeper. I'm not one of those guys that's like out for eight hours. Like I I'm so half brained like yeah. my primal brain is always on it's always on i can't turn it off but um yeah the foam pad thing was brilliant because i was like i am toasty yeah right and i i just have a quilt i was basically wearing puffy and then sol escape bivy yeah. kind of over that because my quilt wouldn't fit under that bivy and then just put the bivy over top and at first my feet oh, my feet are a little cold but just over time i was toasty warm in that yeah it was perfect yeah that's definitely a uh yeah, it's, it's a total game changer when you when you start to look at, you know, what can I take along that can do more than one thing that can be set up in a different way that can um, serve a totally unintended. My I, I bought one of those SOL um, Mylar space blankets. Oh, the blanket. And, yeah. And it's got printed on the back um, all the uses for it. Yeah. And they have, you know, how to use it as a water still, how to use it as a... Right. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and, no. and I and I might not ever use it as, as all those things, but I've certainly used it as a ground sheet. I've used yeah. it as an emergency rain poncho. Yeah. I've used it as a... Um, as a, a... Well, a, as a space blanket. Yeah, of course. Um, and... Um, and I know a guy who who um, uses one inside his sleeping bag. He said the one risk to that is uh, eventually the foil start starts to um, rub off on them. And because oh, of your oils probably on your and, body, yeah. And so if it's right next to your uh, base layer for long enough, they you just start <laughs> to look like a Jiffy Pop. What's <laughs> his description? Be like a disco king. Yeah. Be all like sparkly and yes, shiny. Exactly. I, I I ended up getting the. Uh, I brought it with me too. Was the um, 
the uh, SOL, the emergency bivy, because it's quite big, actually. It's it's quite roomy. Yeah. And I'm a barrel-chested Irishman, so I think that's why I don't have a lot of room in the bivvies. But at the summit, not this past summit, the summit before, it, was, it wasn't super cold. Um, I think it was maybe minus five overnight or something, but I went to sleep and I, and I, I didn't bring a lot with me cause I rode my bike out and, uh, I was sleeping under my tarp and I could feel my feet just getting cold. They were getting so cold. Yeah. And I took that emergency bivy and just pulled it up to my waist and Perfect. it was like a furnace. It was crazy how much heat. And I, obviously it's plastic, right? So yeah. not only is it, I think reflecting that heat, but it's also just trapping everything in. And I didn't, I, didn't, I think because it was just up to my waist, it vented. Yeah. So I wasn't super damp in the morning either. Yeah. And and a lot of guys are doing vapor barrier liners inside their quilts, inside their sleeping bags, inside their base layer even, or, or just outside their base layer in their clothing um, because of, if you look at the science behind it, the way your sweat loses... Uh, or draws heat from your body is through evaporation. That phase change going from liquid water to water vapor sucks a lot of heat. That heat has to come from somewhere. And if you have a vapor barrier that prevents that evaporation, it brings the humidity up. All of a sudden, that sweat can't evaporate from your body. Ah, so it's more like an equilibrium thing. It's equalizing yeah. the... Yeah. And... Um, you know, at some point, your your body um, cuts back on the sweat. If it's if it's cool enough and you're not doing anything, your body doesn't really sweat, and you can always open it up if you do get sweaty. Um, but in most cases, in in the winter, you can you can keep a happy medium where you're lying there in eighty percent humidity, and yeah, your your body sweats its whatever yeah, am, like ambient amount, and uh, and that's not really enough to to get it wet wet inside um sure you're a little more humid than than you would be but then in the morning you're going to get up and put your clothes on and you'll be fine yeah you know with just that little bit of dampness and a base layer is is not a big issue whereas if you've been lying there without that vapor barrier um yeah you'd, you'd have been losing all of your, you know, and, and you sweat a little bit just to keep your skin moist. Right. And just that little bit of, little bit of evaporation is yeah. going to cool you off. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I talked about that when I talked about heat exchanger masks. Yeah. I want to talk about those as well. Yeah. And, and it's the same principle. It's the moisture in your lungs evaporating. And when you breathe in air and it's colder than minus 20, that air is so dry um it's it's getting heated up by your by your airways by your sinuses before it can really lungs. absorb it and use it is that kind of correct is it the same as yeah, kind of liquids where they have to be kind of warmed up or, or brought down to a certain temperature before your body can kind of use it mo most of it is is just the simple fact that your your body just naturally warms it up your your lungs have a huge surface area um I believe it's five times the surface area of your skin. Oh, I would, with all the, yeah, I would imagine so. They they have to stay at least slightly moist or um, the oxygen just can't pass between your lungs and, and your blood cells. So your, your lungs have to stay at least slightly moist. 
and just that huge surface area so it's like a giant heat sink and you breathe in you warm up that air well that air that contains maybe 20 30 50 percent humidity at minus 20 when you bring it into your lungs let's say your lungs bring it up to 15 degrees at that point it's got about three percent humidity right and it just sucks all the moisture that was in that was coating your lungs out of your lungs your body replaces that that's not a real huge issue your lungs are designed around that but the heat to evaporate that water has to come from somewhere and it's coming from you from your lungs so the amount of heat loss to just breathing that's crazy at those temperatures is is phenomenal to hear it broken down like that because I, I i had known about them and there, there were there was a while where i was commuting f- to work um it wasn't far but there was a, a good couple weeks where it was about minus 32 like minus 30 super cold and i had a, a fairly you know decent climb getting to work and uh I think I consider myself pretty fit, but I almost had to stop and walk. It's yeah. like I couldn't get the air into my lungs. And I, was, I wasn't I was hammering. Like I was, I slowed down quite a bit and it was like, wow, I cannot breathe. And I started thinking those air, those uh, heat exchangers must, that's exactly what it's about. Yeah. So just increasing efficiency. Yeah, it's in, increasing efficiency. It's putting a little of the humidity back into the air uh, as, as it takes the humidity that you're breathing out gives it back to the air that's coming back in. It also returns some of the heat to that air on its way back in. Right, so you're, you're preheating the... You're preheating the air. You're, um, there's, there's a chart on a few of the heat exchanger mask manufacturers have charts that tell you what temperature air you're breathing. Uh, the one I really like, the, the air trim mask, has um, they have three different sizes of, of filter. They have a race filter that gives you less restriction. Uh-huh. They have a, I don't know, waiting for the bus filter that's <laughs> gives you a tiny bit of, of restriction. But um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Cool. You can, uh, you know, you, I, I'm kind of a nerd, so I'll put the thermometer in the, in the fr- <laughs> front of the... <laughs> What's the temperature inside this thing? No, yeah. that's, the, that's cool, though. That's because that, that supports your anecdotal... Uh, yeah. opinion and evidence on how these things work yeah and and you know it's it's not a perfect measurement but you know definitely when it's minus 20 i'm breathing about 10 or 15 degree air um, that's crazy and then yeah. so so i mean do you use that as part of a sleep system would you sleep with that on if it were super crazy cold would you sleep with that on when i can figure out how to sleep with <laughs> <laughs> They the the problem is that because they're condensing the vapor uh-huh. in your breath on the way out, they have to drip at some point. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and if you're lying on your back, you know it's it's pure water. It's essentially distilled water. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's you know it's not a big issue, uh, except that you know you end up with a wet face or you have water dripping you know down your cheek into your ear, um, mm. and. and more importantly, compro- uh, compromising, you know, any down insulation that you have right. uh, next to your face. So you need to learn to collect it. I need to figure out, yeah. <laughs> the, down uh, by your feet in an algae and you could collect all your uh, waste. 
Yeah. Do, do you ever, <laughs> do you ever read? Uh, do you ever read um, sci- sci-fi? Have you ever read the the Dune series by Frank Herbert? I'm not well read, okay. but I have seen the movie. So the awesome. there, there's some guys in the um, in that book whose uh, name eludes me at the moment, but they have a an invention called a still suit that essentially does that recovers all the moisture from mm-hmm. your body and uh, feeds it back to you so that you can you can essentially distill the the water from your sweat and from your outgoing breath and then drink it to keep hydrated there's a star wars character as well i only yes. know that I, I, I can't it was a lego thing i saw with it was breaking it down i can't remember what character it was <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah anything Forward like that thinking. it's a good idea you, you put a you put a suit like that on and you know that's the dream um of course for bike packing you have to make it weigh you know 35 grams <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it's, it's carrying too much water. This is a problem. I have all this sweat water I have to drink. What am yes. I going to do? Noon tabs make it taste awesome, right? Yes, yes, Put exactly. Some sweetener in that. Yeah. So, uh, so you wouldn't necessarily sleep with it. So, what would your uh, sleep system comprise of? Now, do you uh, shelter? So, you tarp um, I'm I'm a tarp guy. Um, however, um, my most recent. Um, so I went on a on a scouting trip recently, and I know you want to talk about this. I do, um, but um, one of the one of the punchlines to the to the trip was uh, I went out there what I thought was prepared for minus forty <clears throat> and expecting minus thirty, and um, so I, I went with that sleep system in mind. And for me, that's a minus 10 down sleeping bag. And the quilt I mentioned, which is, according to the, the insulation manufacturer, about a minus 10 quilt. And then I use the quilt as an over bag over the top of my sleeping bag. Right. And then I have a sleeping hood that's made of the same insulation as the quilt. That you made? That I made. Cool. And I slip that over my head and, and use that. It's it's just like a, it, it's like a hood with a bit of a shoulder collar. You showed that at the summit, at didn't the you? At the summit, I yeah, did I show that. that. Now. And does it, it snaps over your neck? It's, it's or velcro? Uh, yeah, it's got uh, ties in the front to, um, to tie it yeah, over my neck and then uh, under my chin. And then a drawstring at the front so I can draw it up tight like a mummy bag hood. Just enough room for your heat exchanger to poke out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for that dripping. Damn. <laughs> and um, so I had that on my head. And then um, I have a, a hood in the sleeping bag because it's a mummy bag. Uh, I didn't put that on um, when I went to bed. And you, I, I read your... Your post, it was minus 30, like it was below minus, minus 30. 40. Oh, it did get to minus so we, 40? So we measured the line on the thermometer based on the on the scale. So buried. assuming it's linear, uh, it was 10 degrees below the minus oh, 30 God. line. So cold. <laughs> but um, it's so impressive. Like, so the math to nerd out, is, is, there, is there a math to layering up... Um, insulation so yes. because you had two minus tens is that minus 20 or is that like actually minus 50 because you're like there's some compounding so i i work on the theory that um you're basically trying to get to room temperature and so a minus 10 bag room temperature being 20 
Yeah. Minus 10 bag is 30 degrees of difference from whatever temperature it happens to be. Right. So then if you take a minus 10 and you add another minus 10, those are both 30s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Got so, it. So then you have 60 total degrees of difference from 20 degree room temperature. So theoretically, that's good to minus 40. Right. And that's my own estimating system. And you are, well, it must work because you're very Apparently confident. Apparently, it works. <laughs> and you said you had a good sleep. I had a great sleep. Right. I was, you know, cold was not at all the issue that night. Awesome. I, um, I took and, and I cleverly took my boot liners out of my boots. I used those as sleep booties to sleep in. What kind of footwear? Like just a normal winter boot? I have a winter pack boot. It's um, the um, Marks um, Wind River, the, the Marks brand. Right. Um, Bivy boot. And it's got a closed cell foam insulation. Yeah. Which I really like for winter because when your feet sweat, the insulation doesn't seem to degrade at all. Right. So, sorry, this is something you just get at Mark's Work Mark's Work Mark's Workwear House. No, they don't support this podcast. Yeah. They, they don't. And, and they don't call themselves Work Warehouse anymore. Oh, no, they don't. Mark's. Yeah, yeah everyone's Marks. kind of shortening their names. Yes. Now. Yes. Uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, I just use Keen boots. They're linerless, though. They yeah. were liners, but that's a really good idea to have something I went to take to, out. I went to linered boots mostly because my linerless boots, uh, if I left them out beside me at night, I didn't want to bring the, the whole boot into the sleeping bag with me. Right. And if no. I left the linerless boots out. Be frozen. They'd be frozen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then you go. Um, and this happened to me on uh, on the ITI in Alaska. Um, I put my boots on one morning. These boots are frozen solid oh, no. in a shape that does not match oh, my foot. No. <laughs> Where your toes are like cranked that up was at my, the end. That was my worst injury. I got I got some pretty serious blisters yeah. from these frozen boots oh my goodness and you know and it was it was only minus 35 oh my gosh what year did you do the iti 2002 so that was the year that the iti started up um the year that the i did a bike uh went down in a smoking flaming mess Right. Did you, which distance did, you, did they have I distances? Did the, yeah, they had the two, they had the 350 and the thousand mile. I did the 350 mile. That's far. And yeah. In that terrain. It's, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely challenging. I've, I've been really looking at it. I, I, again, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience when you're camping, but I love the diversity. I love diverse weather like that. And, you know, there's no bad weather. There's just bad gear. Yeah, absolutely. Really, right? So absolutely. I, I admire that. That's cool. Was that logistically quite difficult to pull off? You know, uh, because I had done some winter camping in, in the past, and I was pretty confident in my winter camping abilities, and I had uh, worked outdoors as cold as minus 55 right and um so really not it's kind of a, a little bit of a walk in the park in a, way, a bit right? of walk in the park um my my biking the biking end of it was my weakness 
Um, but I was also pretty confident in my ability to push a bike. Pushing a bike is kind of my superpower. <laughs> superpower. And it, so, were you riding a fat tired bike? So 2002. No, they, there was there was no commercially available ones. Um, they were still welding rims together, right? In that day, were they doing that? Then? They were. Um, yeah, definitely. They were still welding rims together. The only rims that were available were the Remolino rims. Uh, made by a guy named Ray Molino out of New Mexico, and he was building these things for uh, desert riding. Right, sand and beaches and stuff. Yeah, and he was welding together uh, two snowcat rims, the snowcat rims having originally been two normal-sized rims welded together. Oh, right. <laughs> so he, was, so he, blew, he, he basically was, cut them, he was blew them open, and rerounded two, two together? Yeah, he oh. was... He was uh, welding two 44-millimeter rims together to get an 88-millimeter uh, width out of his rim. And uh, then also he had some factory in Mexico sew uh, <laughs> tires together. Tires together and then vulcanized rubber up the up the seam to, uh, to make them one piece. And because awesome. fat bike tubes didn't exist, no. he was going on a two-tube system. Right. Two side by side tubes in there. Kind of valves on either end, like uh, valves, yeah, sides left of the and rim. left and a right valve, so I think. Funny. And and um, yeah, That's and amazing. I, I actually met him in Alaska. He was I met him in the middle of Rainy Pass before he uh, lent his bike, his personal bike that he was touring the trail with. He wasn't racing; he was touring the trail, was playing around. Yeah, having a good time. He had uh, he had all his beaver skin on. He's wondering what all these guys are doing. What are you guys yeah, doing? Yeah, he he. Uh, no, he didn't didn't have beaver skin. But I'll tell you, he had the biggest slab of bacon slapped to the back of a bike I have ever seen. <laughs> oh my god, it's like bear bait. <laughs> well, yeah, the bear risk in the middle of winter there probably is enough. probably yeah. pretty low, but. You never know. Yeah. You come out of hibernation, you smell a slab of bacon. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he really impressed me because he was riding in spots where, you know, I was, you know, e- even the, the guys who knew how to ride on snow were were pushing, and I was definitely pushing, and he was just, you know, riding along. JRA. <laughs> JRA. JRA, and a bear attacked me from behind. He yeah. took my bacon. I have nothing to eat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're like mailing out your drops and stuff. Did did you so have to for that? There's yeah, that you have to put um, the three fifty. You don't have to mail anything, but they do two drops. They have a drop at Winter Lodge, Winter Lake Lodge, and again at Roan. There's another drop, and they uh, float plane them in um, as part of the. That's cool. As as part of the the race, as part of your race entry fee, and. Um, yeah, they they set up that race as a four racers by racers race. They didn't set it up to make a fortune, and you can tell none of them have made a fortune on it. Yet. No, all these crazies going out and racing, and um, it's that's what's so great about it. Yeah, it's like there's, there aren't any prizes, so it seems like there's no ego because of that, really, because everyone's out there just. There's definitely a reduced ego. There's there's always those guys who are willing to. You know, they take it so personally that they're willing to take things to extremes. And, you know, there have been instances of, of cheating. There have been instances of of really uh, subtle cheating in the race where um, the um, 
there have been years where where groups will you know bring a film crew along and um i don't know if you ride a lot of snow machine trails but on, on snowmobile trails right after a snowmobile goes by you're you're walking it's horrible yeah <laughs> and everyone thinks it's so great when they start fat biking they're like oh we'll just go find some snowmobile trails i'm like no man yeah no maybe in a week if yeah. we have blue, blue bluebird for a week then they'll be awesome yeah yeah, or or if you find you know if you find a snowmobile trail where the last snowmobile to go by was three days ago, right? It'll be awesome. Yeah. Um, it's soft and it's like yeah. brown sugar riding in sugar. Yeah. yeah, and and depends on the type of snowmobile and stuff too. Um, up in Alaska, most of them are these freight snowmobiles. They're pulling a sled behind them with the film crew's gear or with their camping you know they'll have wall tents and stuff so they're basically supporting that rider oh and i'm shooting a yeah. film so it's yeah oh, we're shooting a film <laughs> and they're coincidentally always right behind their rider and always right in front of other riders right and so yeah they're they're uh they they've now banned um uh personal film crews from oh, yeah. from the race i yeah, I think they did that in 2003. So bring your own drone and shoot um, it yourself. Bring your own drone or um, you can have impartial uh, film crews where um, there's there's um, the last year they did the, I did a bike, uh, RJ Sauer, who's since done, um, he's done the trip to Nome, I think, twice. Um He's uh, he did a film called uh, Thin White Line back in yeah. 2001, an awesome film you can yeah, see it it on Vimeo. And uh, so you can do that kind of thing where you set up. <laughs> There's some kids we teenagers. We don't think they're jumping teenagers. Around. We we think they're younger kids. Well, that's uh, not yours. Off sofas. Those aren't my kids. Oh, <laughs> sorry, everyone. The the whole place is shaking. They're having a party <laughs> next door or something. They're gonna come through the ceiling. <laughs> yeah Damn teenagers yeah that's i'm 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 super um interested in that but i just the logistics more of the it sounds like an expensive race to pull off like you yeah. gotta get up there you gotta get back so they fly you into that no they fly you out of that um no no that's up to you oh um and that's ride, ride out that's out one of the one of the expectations of the race is that um if you need to be evacuated from the course um, you're expected to have the 400 bucks for a bush plane or more. Well, for, fair enough. Yeah. And um, you're also, um, yeah, when you get to McGrath, uh, McGrath has an airport because they're, um, they're, they're a reasonable sized town and they have an airport so you can fly back to Anchorage from there. And then they, um, there is a van out from Anchorage to the race start at, uh, at Kinnick. Cool, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's really uh, it's pretty no frills. Um, they um, they don't always guarantee a trail. Let's look for a plug-in. It's okay. I can edit this out. Okay. Keep talking though. Tell me more about that. Um, yeah, so they can um, they can. Um, so we talking about about having the money to, to fly mm, out. Yeah, so so yeah, you can fly out of of McGrath, and then of course you can fly out of Nome. Um, but you're yeah, you all the airfare and whatnot is up to you. So yeah, it's it's pretty pricey. And then uh, for my trip, uh, I don't know if uh, 
the airlines have have changed. But on my way out there, I had um, three legs. I had Calgary, Vancouver, Vancouver, Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage. And so I flew on those three legs, and each of those three legs cost me uh, 75 US bucks to put my bike on the plane. Like extra? Extra. Oh, man. So just to get my bike out there was 325 US bucks. And they were doing that back then. Like back in the day, usually sports equipment was kind yeah. of free. Yeah, bikes were never really, um, for some reason, golf clubs are fine, but. <laughs> <laughs> they call that recreational supremacy. Yes. I heard that term. Yeah, at the Fat Bike Summit, <laughs> recreational supremacy, golf. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's crazy. I guess they are kind of bulky. Depends how you pack it down. A bike, yeah. a bike is pretty bulky, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and and then to make matters worse, my I flew in to Anchorage on, uh, the, the race started on the Saturday or Sunday, and I flew in on the Tuesday. So I'd have, you know, a couple extra days to get my gear together to, you know, make a few trips to REI and buy stuff right. that I really shouldn't bring on the race because it's extra weight. And I've already got my gear selected and pared down. I've been doing this, getting ready for the race for a couple of years. And uh, you always second guess yourself. Oh, it's I, that packing your fears thing, right? Yeah, and look then at you this think... cool thing that's at REI and, uh, you know, oh, maybe if I have a second pair of goggles, that would be a great idea. Because then when my first pair gets fogged, I'll have a second pair. And, yeah, you, you sort of, fortunately, um, my Curiac was uh, in the garage when I was trying to pack extra stuff into my bike. And he's like, what are you doing? Do you usually take that? <laughs> is, is this stuff you would usually take camping? And I was like, no, no, totally not. And um, so, yeah. And then did you, did you dump it? I you're like it. you're right, man. What, I ditched what am I it. Doing? I put it back in my duffel bag, That's and funny. and yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was good because the uh, the goggles were uh, were clear goggles that I found there, inexpensive, and they probably would have fogged up anyway. They they totally would have fogged up anyway, but um, you know, I, I eventually used them just for commuting back and forth to work. So you did use them anyway. I, I totally used them, and I I they were worthwhile. Expense, but um, yeah, I didn't need to buy anything in Anchorage in terms of gear. It's interesting how these, um, like these races, you'll again you pack your fears. And the first race I did, I scratched on, but it was um, I packed so much freaking food. I packed so much food, and it's like, <laughs> why did I pack all that food? It's like it was, I could have fed a family of four for like a week with all I, that food. And I can like, tell you, I can tell you to the gram how much food <laughs> I can eat in a day. Right. I I can eat about, you know, of dehydrated food combined with, um, you know, sugary, oily snacks. Basically, my my rough uh, estimate is, is 750 grams. Wow, so not even of, a kilo of food. Of food per day. Calorie-dense food. Is, yeah. And that's that's basically what I can eat, what I can keep down, what I can feel comfortable having eaten, what I can digest. Yeah. Because you know, if you stuff extra food in, it's it's either going to come up or make you feel really uncomfortable. 
Um, you know, your body will eventually process it, but you don't want there to be a lag time. Um, I find too, I don't know, maybe it's, it's everyone's biologically different, but, uh, being just a little bit hungry is okay. Yeah. Like, you know what, if, if, if you're, you're not going to die, you're not like, going to die as long as you don't run out of water. Right. Yeah. And you can, you know, what, three days without water, but it's like, yeah, like two prob- weeks. Probably not at full speed bike packing, but no, you know what I mean though. Right. It's like, you don't, you don't. Uh, yeah, you, you can be hungry. You can be just a little hungry. It's like yeah, a sip of water. That'll that'll curb it. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, the packing. There's so much food. And yeah, like, do I bring a stove? Do I, I mean, if yeah. winter, you're bringing a stove. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about stuff like that too. Actually, like um, winter stove selection and whatnot. I in the summer, I don't usually bring a stove unless I'm like casually going on a camp trip. Like, I I just find I it's just something to clean up. Yeah. In the summer, it's like I'll boil water in it, like if I want to make coffee. Yeah. But really, I'm not going to cook oats in it because then I have to use like a gallon of water to clean that thing out before you put it away. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I I pretty much always, because I so often go out in winter, I pretty much always bring a plastic bowl. I got a nice plastic bowl that fits inside my my pot that I really like. And uh, so I bring that so that I don't have to... You know, then then I just let it freeze, and and bang, <laughs> chip it <laughs> out of there. <laughs> it just adds some spice to the next meal. Yeah, you just yeah. chip it out. Then exactly have a bit of garlic flake in your oatmeal in the morning. Yeah. so it's all good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, but now you're leaving breadcrumbs for oh yeah, sort of the wildlife. Okay. It's so nice. Yeah, birds swooping down eating the oats out of your bowl. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> if you if you leave your bowl in one spot, you'll you'll have. You, you see all the wildlife come out in the winter. <laughs> yeah. You think it's barren until those 12 bulls come they're out. They're there. Too. They're there. Yeah, they're there. Anything to get a bite. Yeah. Um, man, we really uh, went off on a tangent there. It was great. Oh, yeah. No, I like it. It's good, the tangent. I just, I, I'm keeping notes. I'm trying to figure out where we were and where we are and where we're going. Yeah, you definitely talked about packing your fears, and, and that yeah. was where I was get, going with the, Keep going the with food it. end of it, was, uh, yeah, my last trip. I, I weighed my food when I got home, and I, I realized I had an extra three days of food. Really? Yeah. So, uh, For a like three-day trip. One and a half kilos of food? Yeah. So you brought like a week of food. I, In the winter, though, man, I think that that might be a good idea. I cannot possibly eat that much. No? But, no. but what if? Just what if? So you hurt your ankle. Yeah. Right? You're... <laughs> you lost your yeah. inner reach. <laughs> right? so, so now you so got to find three it. days before I get a rescue. So I don't know, man. Um, I mean, that's that's not that's not uh, paranoia by any stretch to bring you know double your food yeah. on a winter trip when it's minus forty. I I think probably it was. I think it was probably overkill. Right. In that you know, like you said, it's okay to be a bit hungry. Um, you know, I can go on half rations. Easy. And, you know, if I've got a broken ankle and I'm sitting there waiting, hoping that somebody will follow my tracks out um, for a rescue, um, and I know I need, you know, I'm likely to not get rescued until, A, I'm supposed to be back, and Tanya calls in the rescue right. team, and B, the rescue team follows my tracks out to where I am. Or to where I right. lost my inReach. And they'd have your last marker. They'd At least have they'd have last, your last marker. Yeah, they'd have yeah. my last marker. And so they'd have some idea where to look for me. And in that, that time, there was only one set of tracks to follow. So, Right. Well, I don't know. 
I think, it's, I think it'd be nice to have a little bit extra food. Yeah, a little bit extra. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah, an extra day. Two pounds. It's an two extra pounds day of food. You know, if I'm sitting around with a broken ankle, I can make an extra day's worth of food last three, four, five days if I have to. Yeah, for sure. And as long as you can boil the water and you have fuel. fuel. Yeah. What kind of uh, stove are you using? So uh, for the winter trips, when I'm expecting it to be cold, I've pretty much always used a... Uh, an MSR um, like whisper the, light. Oh, really? Yeah. So you're using it's a canister stove then? It's not a canister stove. Oh, no, it's, a, it's a white a gas. Oh, okay. It's a okay. white gas stove. Is that the universal one that you can burn diesel in? You Is can burn bad? diesel in it. You have to change the jet, but you can burn diesel oh, in do, it. Right. And you can burn kerosene. You can burn gasoline. I don't like the smell of burning gasoline. Um, you see it all the time where the Europeans come flying into, gas. into North America and they, they don't understand that you can buy a Coleman camp stove fuel. It's white gas. Right. And, um, so they, they fill it up with, uh, unleaded gasoline and your, your campground smells like a gas station every time they uh, <laughs> boil some water. Yeah. It must be pretty smoky too, right? Yeah. The gas over the Yeah. And it, uh, it gets, you know, a lot of dirt and stuff on your stove. So I, I prefer to burn the white gas. And uh, I also bought the um, the MSR uh, winter uh, pump. It's got I don't know winter rated seals on it. The the cap is actually kind of spongy, like rubbery, so, right? So it won't freeze up. Won't freeze up. And I, I used it at minus forty just that's really smart. three weeks ago. When I was reading your post, it was like you're talking about everything sticking to your hands. Yeah, while you're trying to start stuff up. Yeah. yeah, you don't think about that stuff. You don't think about that's like a little logistical thing that it's like, yeah. well, one, well, do you use matches or lighters matches? So I carry a uh, ferro rod. Oh, right. That's I've my had luck with those. I bought one, but it's useless. Like I yeah. can't get it to work. I've I've got the little guy and um, like, like a four it's, incher. It's about oh, uh, sure. this long. Does and it it's the, just got the built in looks orange like a key. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Probably the same one. I, I just can't get enough. I see. I feel like I can't get enough stroke on it to get a, a big enough spark oh, to get it. To, but you just, you just, you turn the stove on. You just like launch one into the. Yeah, I launch. I usually have to launch four or five in there. Right, and I don't keep really, your hands clear. I don't really care um, <laughs> how many, you know. And and the MSR stove, I just I fill up the priming uh, cup and then I I turn it off. Right. And then I let it preheat. And at minus 40, sometimes you have to do that twice because sometimes the generator won't won't uh, start vaporizing the fuel. Right. You've got to preheat it so that it'll start the, the siphoning action for the fuel to get it. Yeah. Right. To, to get it to, to vaporize and, and give you a nice blue flame instead of the um, ball of yellow fire that you see a lot of people. A lot of people who haven't read the manual uh, right. make those, in, especially in campgrounds. Always have to ask Manuel, yeah, how to light your stove. Yes, <laughs> I'm exactly. gonna practice with that rod because the whole reason I got it was that it's just bottomless, right? You, yeah, I mean, you have so much potential there. Yeah, you've there. got a lot of potential, and um, it it works even if it gets wet. So if you fall in the creek, yeah, it still works. Your lighter doesn't. If you um, if it's really cold, you can work them with like full blown mittens on. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I use it. It usually takes me five or six strikes before I get a spark to land in the right spot near the priming cup, <laughs> close enough to the priming cup. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm going to practice with mine now that you say that because I, I used it. I brought it out to, what did I do? Um, you know, I found it hard. Like, you can't really light a fire starter with that. You'd have to build like a, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, it, and you, you can if you, um, I, I have some fire starters that I make out of, um, you, you've got kids. So you got you a lot make of broken, everything. You got a lot of broken crayons around if you have kids. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> so, so save up those broken crayons. The ones they don't eat. Don't, yeah. don't cry over them. Don't cry <laughs> over the broken crayons. Save them up in a in a pencil case, and then you can uh, just melt them down. It doesn't take much heat. It's uh, it's a little over like it's under boiling temperature yeah. to to melt them down, and I melt them down into the bottom of the um, egg cartons. Yeah. And then I just stick a, a little tuft of dryer lint in the top. <laughs> That's awesome. I love these ideas. This is so fantastic. And, and so you, you spark those. And they'll, they'll light up with the ferro rod, no problem. Right. Um, and you aim them right into that cup, And you right? aim You've them right into little, the cup. And so yeah, they'll, they'll usually start with one stroke. And That's then nice. that gives you enough to, you know, if you've done some good, good work with kindling, that'll get you right. a fire going. That said, That's awesome. I seldom start fires. Yeah, usually you just go and then usually sleep. I just go and I yeah. sleep, and um, that's something I find is that if you're trying to warm up around a fire, um, your body gets in the mode where it's shedding heat. Right. Oh, I see what you mean. And you're so sweating. if if you're actually warm, if, if you're, you're actually warm, warm by you're it. being warmed by the fire. Number one, your back isn't unless you've got that space blanket wrapped around you. Right. And then your body is in the mode of shedding heat. Right. Cooling and down, so you yeah. Go and lay down in your cold sleeping bag, and you shiver for ten minutes. That's so funny. You'd and be better off just to climb in, climb into your bag. You'd be much better off, and even better still would be to go for a walk. Right, move. Yeah. Go for a walk. Doesn't yeah. uh, Tanya is the one who started our family on a rigorous uh, practice? We finish dinner, and we go for a walk. We go for a 15, 20 minute, half an hour walk just enough to get the blood circulating to warm us up not enough to get sweaty and then when we come back we get right into our sleeping bags right we're already warm where our bodies have uh generated heat from you know just muscle movement and so that heat is is stored in our bodies so you have lots of heat to, to warm up that sleeping bag Right. That's just like warming your feet up when you're fat biking. Like, yeah. I'll walk. I'll get off and walk, off and walk, walk a section because yeah. it just heats your feet up because you yeah. you're not using them. I've really. done that a, a bunch of times. When it's super cold. Yeah. yeah. If it's minus 30, yeah, you get off and push the bike for a while. And, yeah. and it feels good, actually, yeah. to walk. I mean, yeah, it does yeah. feel good to walk sometimes. Get oh, yeah. your butt off that seat for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's some really good ideas. I'm gonna try to make it some of that fire starter. That's <laughs> awesome. Kids' crayons. What are you doing, Daddy? Uh, making survival gear with your crayons. Hey, getting getting rid of your broken crayons. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy some more. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's so funny. You have this so, whole box of whole crayons. <laughs> yeah. So then that tour that you did, uh, that was a scouting trip. Yeah, that was sort of the the background plan was as a scouting trip. I, I had done all of this route before uh, in winter. Oh, you had? Yeah, oh, So, okay. but in bits and pieces. I thought it was like a new and, thing for you. And in different years. Um, this was the first time where I was trying to put the whole route together. Now, uh, <laughs> let's keep in mind that as a, as a scouting mission, it was not necessarily 
100% successful in that I, um, I, I did 14 kilometers of the planned 180 kilometers. Um, <laughs> Be quiet, Tanya. What are you laughing about over there? <laughs> I, um, well, I'm proud of you, Doug. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I know, I, I know you know how hard it can be. And, oh, yeah. And so um, there, there were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons was I, I spent basically uh, nine hours uh, traversing a four and a half kilometer, oh not God. even four and a half kilometer stretch of trail um, to get to the, to the summit of a, not a pass, but a saddle uh, that I could go down the far side. And I was just about to uh, send a message to Tanya to tell her how happy I was to be on the summit. Actually, I was going to send her a canned message because on the inReach, the canned messages are free. And the oh, uh, good to know. The well, yeah, some depends on what plan you have and stuff. But Uh, in this case, the canned message to her is free. The one that just says, "Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, Here's uh, I'm I'm happy." And uh, so I was going to send her that free message, and I reached in to try and find my inReach, and it wasn't there. Oh, no. And I knew I had had it within the last 400 meters um, because I checked it about an hour previously, and I was sort of thinking, well, you know, if I, if I don't make it up to the top of this saddle by, by noon, um, then I'll... I'll just, you know, I'll pick a different route. This is ridiculous. At some, right. po- at some point, you have to be willing to modify your route. And you know what else is ridiculous? What's that? 400 meters in an hour. Yes. That's yes. crazy. That is absolutely that is so ridiculous. crazy. It, it, was, oh, it was... Were you thigh deep? Step, yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. At least knee deep. And, and I mean that was, with respect. Yeah. Ridiculous with respect. <laughs> because, oh, yes. my God. Yes, absolutely. It was, yeah, it was a total, it was a total challenge. And, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't about, uh, it, it wasn't about, um, going fast. It was, you no, know, just getting there, right. The journey. And, and in previous years, you know, some years I'll, I'll ride up there and I can be at the summit in an hour. In the summer. In the summer. Right. How many, how many and K to the been, summit there? Like 4K? It's uh, to the summit. The way I took was uh, uh, 13 and a half K. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So in an hour, which Thir- is reasonable. Like 13 a and a half K summertime. is, yeah, it's pretty, pretty reasonable. And I've done that on a fat bike in, in, you know, good conditions. Um, I rode it back this year in maybe December and it was, yeah, frozen dirt with a bit of frozen snow on it. Right. And yeah, it was equally fast riding to summer, maybe faster because you didn't sink in any mud, didn't sink in any sand. Right. So is do you think that this is still, uh, you think you can do an, an ultra on this route? I'm thinking that it would be better to modify the route or give routing options. That's one of the things that a lot of people don't, um, really take into account when they think of the ITI, they think it's all one route. 
And basically, it is all one route, but it's it's all one route via checkpoints. So, right. so it doesn't all, really matter how you get to a checkpoint. You as long can as, as long as you make it that fifty whatever miles to the next checkpoint. You there's often two or three trails you can take. Right. There's often things you can bypass. Because um, I'm sure that terrain, there would obviously be something that, oh, you can't go that way. Can't go that way now. Yeah. It's got a bunch of snow or there's. Yeah. And so uh, Rainy Pass, one of the, the big passes on the route. Um, there have been a few times where people had to go. Uh, the descent down Rainy Pass passes through the most gorgeous canyon ever. Uh, and just a fantasy land of canyon. Amazing. Um, but there have been years where all the ice bridges are washed out on that canyon. Ah, right. And they've had to take alternate routes there. And there have been other times where they couldn't make it through Rainy Pass proper, and so they took the next pass over and made the the next over descent. And um, the organizers have always said that there may be some years that nobody can get through at all. So in that case, uh, would they cancel the race or would they? They would have the race and nobody would make it through. <laughs> there would That's be no the finishers that year. Fair enough. Um, there have so been years is. where they've had, you know, 85% scratch rates. Right. Like heavy snow and. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine some of those, some of that terrain would be just impassable. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was uh, one year, maybe three or four years ago where I think out of uh, 48 racers that started, I think they ended up with eight guys in McGrath and three wow. in Nome. That's amazing. I Don't quote me on that three exact even, numbers, but three to those are the kind of the attrition rates you can you can be looking at. On a, and it's just the way it that. is. Yeah. Right? It's just you can't control that. Yeah. Hey, can uh, I ask you a question? Sure. Are you thirsty? Absolutely, yeah. That's <laughs> just about to offer you. How are you? I'm sorry. I'm such a what a horrible guest. Hey, man, where's your beer at? You doing a podcast or what? Mostly beer, so that's okay. Surprise me with something. So, Tanya, do you do these these rides? These minus thirty bike packing. I've been on a few. Yeah. yeah. Do you enjoy them? You dig them? Great hair, Tig. I said great hair, man. Great hair. <laughs> that hair. You got a good-looking family. I do. <laughs> Very good looking. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's some really cool stuff. Um, what do we talk about? We talked about the trackers. I'm just going through my list here. I asked him what his story was. We kind of talked a little bit of the, at the beginning. So you actually worked for Intel? Nortel. 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 Ah, Nortel, of course. I'm just looking for some glass. Oh, it's all good. I can drink out of the can. Oh, um, so the were you, were you a, like a bike tour guy or a backpacker before you started bikepacking? Um, not really. Uh, I was more of a bike commuter. Yeah. Sorry, this, this quality is going to be weird because he's getting me beer, but just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you were like a winter commuter guy. Yeah, I rode my bike back and forth to work uh, from, started I think in 1995, and I was riding my bike back and forth, and 
we have, there's always that guy in your office. In our case, it was Tom. And they said, you're not going to end up like Tom, where you ride your bike to, to work every day, all year round, even in the Heck yeah. cold. Heck yeah. And, yeah. Because I'm, that, I'm Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy. The crazy, what's that guy doing? It's minus 30. What's he doing riding his bike? Yeah. And I, and I thought, well, you know, I don't have to be hardcore about it. Hmm. I can just, maybe I will. Maybe I'll stop. Um, but it ended up that it was way easier than everybody makes it out to be. Right. It, you know what? It's, again, like I said before, it's not, it's just the gear. If you have good gear. If you have good gear. And you can do it safely. And you plan your route. Yeah, it's not a big And deal. you, you know, put a little thought into it. Yeah. And, and it can be, it can be inconvenient sometimes but i mean you know as as a ex-it guy myself uh, i spent a lot of time in the car man driving back and forth to my job absolutely and when i when i changed careers uh or just decided to step out of that career because it was kind of killing my soul i found that i never just want to drive in a car again yeah like I, I lived on the coast and i was either driving from like Pemberton to Whistler or Squamish to Whistler or Squamish to Vancouver. So it was like an hour yeah. in the morning, an hour in the evening. And yeah, and then just it's it takes years off your life driving yeah. in a car all the time. It's and, crazy. And mine was that thanks, one step thanks, worse man. where it was city driving. There is. And what we got yeah, one, one day I, I got uh, yeah, in a snowstorm. I'd been in my car for uh, almost two hours. You could have got there quicker with the bike. <laughs> I, I could have walked there carrying my bike quick. It was about an, so uh, about a forty-five minute in the summer. It was uh, at the time it was I think uh, fifteen kilometers to work. Maybe that's a good commute. Maybe eighteen. Yeah, that's a decent commute decent, by bike. Yeah. And I would get you know I'm reasonably quick so i would get there in you know 45 minutes an hour yeah. an hour if conditions were you know a little worse cheers buddy and good cheers. to sit down and chat yeah what are we drinking here this is banded uh, peak brewing. banded peak brewing uh i think they're out of calgary in spite of their canmore name or in spite of their uh, brad creek name pine citrus amber let's have a sip here yep they're out of calgary Mm. IPAs are growing on me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like coffee, right? Do you yeah. like coffee? I, I do like What's coffee. What's your roast? What's that's your roast my, level? That's my, um, my, my sort of poison. That's my luxury item that I take bikepacking. Yeah. I was um, a coffee roaster for five years. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. I'm, I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely. I got a friend who's a coffee roaster. Nice. And Is he looking for roasters? <laughs> Because <laughs> I'd love to roast coffee again. I love it. I, you know, yeah. This is for sale. Let's talk. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk. But I don't want to move to Calgary. I like a, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's fully set up in, in Calgary there. Oh, I can't do it. But, um, yeah. Oh, what do you got there? Hang on. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh Tan, you got the hold on finger. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh. I, I think uh, you know when you sell your business, you don't always want to advertise it yourself. Oh, your I wasn't. We don't have to advertise it. You yeah, know. Hey, fair enough though. I know a guy. That's cool. Yeah. Do you like dark? 
uh, I, like I like uh, like a variety. That really nice. depends on the bean. Yeah. Right. The uh, origin, as you would know, depending on the 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 origin, the the size, the even the season of the bean, you yeah. know, can need a little more, a little less. And so, you know, I tend towards the the middle of the road. Like, you know, I don't I don't want it so dark it tastes like ashtray. Right. But um, some of these, um, you know, some of the fancy roasters will, uh, you know, take the take the bag, open it, show the roaster to the beans, and then call it a day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's there's some. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, there's so much craft and art to it and yes. timing and temperature and and even um, adjusting the the way the coffee roasts from beginning to end that can so change the flavor of coffee yeah you know you could have a certain drop temperature that you're trying to achieve and you could get there in 10 minutes or you could get there in 15 minutes or 18 minutes and every even though the, the origins are all the same your yeah. drop temperature is exactly the same uh, because of the Maillard effect, <laughs> yeah, your your flavors change as you go because you're you're controlling the, the basically the flavors, yeah. yeah. So uh, cool, coffee talk, yeah. Backpack Canada podcast, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey Tanya, I got you a beer, but I can't reach your glass. Oh. <laughs> toss toss the tall boy, put a spin on it. What's that one? Red Racer. This is nice. Thanks for the beer. You're welcome. Love it. I don't drink beer very often. Not my vice of choice lately. Yeah, so I, I've been. Uh, that's my luxury item when I go bike packing. Is is I bring uh, actual coffee beans. Okay, brewing a, method. A grinder. Yeah. And an AeroPress. <laughs> you do the AeroPress. I do the AeroPress. Nice. You um, do the upside down method. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You keep the rubber away from the I coffee. I went to right? the. Um, <laughs> I went to the um, World Championships. That's so funny. Did you? You competed? They no. Oh, you should. I did not compete. I I went to watch to get tips on you know best way, and you can tell there's there's the very tongue in cheek guys who can whip off some you know brilliant coffee in no time, and uh, you know they press these arrow presses and they keep the banter going, and they don't take themselves too seriously at all. Right. And I really like those guys. And then there's the guys who who take it all the way full on serious, and you know they're they're adding post brew hot water to their to their coffee in there. Oh yeah, like bypass water. Yeah, yeah where basically. you have to where you have to you know cup every every time you you change your grind or your beans, you have to. Well, as a prior roaster that's that's pretty accurate what happens like if you you change a recipe yeah uh you have to cup everything you have to taste it taste it again compare notes like it is it's super it can be a super pretentious field to be in and i think yeah. that's it just breeds yeah that attitude absolutely but if you're <clears throat> but I know if you're mean. whipping up uh you know three batches of uh of aeropress coffee um I, I think you can get very reasonable results from you know, selecting a happy medium grind and adjusting on the fly. Yeah. 
the, the problem I have with them, and it's I don't use them that often, but I always find that when you put the hot water in, it starts to it starts to uh, starts to drain pass, right away. Yeah, pass the filter that's, right away. That's why I've been going the the upside down with the uh, right because you limit it down. Right, you limit that. So you but but as soon as you pour it, it starts pouring in. You gotta get the plunger on there, then flip it up. Yeah, no, down. no, I I flip it the other way. I I fill it, um, essentially with the with the plunger down. With the plunger. Oh, duh. Yeah, and then you yeah. put the... And then I put my my, my filter on the top. Right. And then I turn it over and drain it. Right. And so it does touch the rubber to the coffee, but I haven't found that to be an issue. I can never taste the rubber in there. I can taste if I use a paper filter, though. You can taste the paper. Yeah, it, you, can, you can get unbleached uh, filters. Like, they're slightly brown, but you still... You can still taste I, the I fiber. Got a, I got a metal filter for mine. And yeah, me too. Yeah. They're awesome, actually. No, it's so back. great. And you just rinse them out and you yeah. reuse them. It's environmentally friendly. And and surprisingly, they work at minus 40. Of course they would. That shocked me. I, really? I thought for sure that plastic seemed so brittle at minus 40. Oh, I see. I thought for sure that thing I was going to, you know, because you have to preheat it. Because it's got enough thermal mass at minus forty that if you poured boiling water cold. into it, be, <laughs> your boiling water would be cold. And I was worried about cracking it halfway up. Right. So I thought, oh, they're pretty you know, bomber. Yeah, they're made by the same company that made frisbee. Yeah. Right. And and you know I I think that they're you know I was confident in their solidity. I was not confident they had tested them at minus forty. So I'm gonna admit something that I. I've kind of been known to use the uh, Via Instant Starbucks. Oh. Sorry. Sorry, dude. You know <laughs> yes. why? It's just because of space. It's because just because of light, space. They're fast. And, and you know they're what? good enough. They're, they are good enough. They are not, they are not yeah. freshly ground AeroPress coffee good. Yeah. But uh, actually, um, <clears throat> when I went up for that trip, I asked my wife to go to the store in town here and try to find me some of the, some of the, I thought they had it at this store. And she goes, oh, I don't have any. They just have, you know, just regular instant. So she just got me like, I think a, a jar of, yeah, you know, and it was the gold standard, whatever, dark roast. And it's, I don't know what it is. It must be just the freeze, the freeze drying. I, I think aspect. it is. It is horrible. I think there's a bunch of, of factors that go into that. And yeah. But yeah, um, usually I don't even bring a stove, so I'll put it. You, you, I think it'll even dissolve in cold water. So you could yeah, put it in my, your bike pack Canada bottle and shake it up. Yeah, my way around that would be probably to, um, and and this this is terrible to uh, admit. Uh, one day I forgot my coffee beans uh, on a trip, and so I decided that I had these chocolate covered coffee beans, and I was going to mm. run them through my grinder. Oh, and I was going to have you know like a mochaccino. You know what? Chocolate, hot chocolate coffee hybrid. Yeah, a little bit of carnauba I wax in there too. I thought it would be just fine, but what no. It tastes like it wasn't uh, very good. It doesn't fit through the grinder. Oh, no. <laughs> what kind of grinder do you have? Like the. Uh, I have the Hario. The Hario. Like the. Is, yeah, is the, it the, the narrow one? Narrow <clears throat> one, yeah. They have a good burrs. Those grinders yeah. have good burrs. Yeah, yeah, really good burrs, but you, you just can't get those chocolate, you know, chocolate covered beans just don't get in there. And the, <sighs> they'll never the, come out. The chocolate would gum up the burrs, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so it never did work. No, um, I don't imagine. So I ended up. Um, yeah, grinding them, you know, by hand, the mortar and pestle method. Oh, yeah, nice. A <laughs> couple of rocks. <laughs> yeah. It tastes fishy. It tastes salmon-y. Got my, uh, <laughs> yeah, got my, got my coffee made, but um, 
I, in the future, I would just eat the chocolate-covered coffee beans. Yeah, you still get it in there, And right? if I was bringing the no-stove method, I'd consider those chocolate-covered coffee beans as a as a good way to... Uh, you have to wrap them in mylar so they don't melt in your bag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I brought in some winter, chocolate winter, that's less like, problem. Well, yeah, in See, the winter. All yeah. this comes back to you. You need to spend more time out there in the winter. Totally. You can just bring butter. You can yeah. just eat butter. <laughs> Slices of butter. <laughs> you know, I I did bring I, uh, I did bring slices of yeah. butter on the ITI. Calorie dense, lots of salt. Absolutely. Was it salted? Get some sodium yeah, in there. Yeah, salt salted, absolutely. And uh, I I cut it into uh, sticks. You know, like cheese string size. Oh sticks. yeah. And uh, yeah, one wonderful. Uh, you know, you're eating you know little pencils of butter. Um, <laughs> and uh, like it, butter jerky, like butter. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, you know what's even better? What is Parmesan cheese? Oh, I bring Parmesan. I'm, yeah. I'm a cheese meat guy. And uh, and um, when I did the I, the year I did the ITI, I had the very good fortune that uh, Roberta Goodoni's uh, uh, he um, hikes the the race. Right, which is crazy year. too. That's amazing yeah. to me too to do it yeah. on foot with the toboggans. And, well, he's doing it. Bananas. He's doing it with. He's pulling um, like. Clearly, a little kid sled, and he admitted that he had borrowed it from his granddaughter. And um, it, it was, yeah, that's funny. you know, the the little uh, two runner sled with the with the seat on it, <laughs> with um, a flag, a little nice. You flag. know, and and this is a guy like nobody's going to poke fun of him because he's like because he'll win it six feet seven, oh, yeah. and his his stride is probably uh, <laughs> yeah. two and a half meters. <laughs> And and he just looks like such a, a force of nature, and at one of the checkpoints, uh, he had frostbitten his glands the year before. Um, so I asked him how, his glands. What do you mean? Glands, tip of the penis. His penis. That's that would, yeah. they, Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that would suck. It would. It would. Um, Is he okay? So yeah, he's fine. Oh my goodness. And he had some new windproof be- briefs, and so in his uh, broken English, he said to me. Uh, uh, penis fine <laughs> ass fire because his windproof briefs were uh, chafing him oh no and um, so of course like all good uh, you know long distance cycling guys I, I had a tub of uh, tube of uh, diaper cream with me nice and so I handed it over and he gave me a wheel of cheese. <laughs> it's a fair trade. It turns out that he's a farmer <clears throat> in Parma. Like a wheel? In Italy. Like a, a wheel about, you know, a, like a two feet diameter hunk of cheese. Oh, my gosh. And uh, That's all you need to get yeah. to the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, there's, where am I going to fit all this? Where You know, because he's thinking more in terms of, you know, finishing the race in... Uh, you know, he's looking to get to McGrath in, in uh, you know, maybe as long as two weeks if conditions are bad. So he uh, has has a good supply of cheese. This is his extra cheese. <laughs> There's a second wheel of cheese. But he's, he's, a, he's a cheese farmer. That's brilliant. And so, yeah, that turned me on to the Parmesan cheese. And, uh, oh, boy. Have you ever seen the, um, it was a couple of years now, the Race to the Rock? videos with uh, i think her name's sarah hammond so that's the race from oh, i can't remember what city but they raced to uluru in australia mm. and uh so sarah had run out of food and the only thing she had was a wedge of 
Parmesan. She had it in butcher paper. And she's like, oh, yeah, I ran out of food. And she pulls out this big chunk of Parmesan. It looks like a rat has been eating it. She's been gnawing at it, right, mm-hmm. for, for days. But it's like that's that calorie density thing, right? Calorie density. It's, butter, got, it's got the salt. Yeah, the salt. Um, and uh, Parmesan cheese. Uh, when stuff starts, I, I find food starts to taste metallic after about the third day of high output. Yeah, food starts to taste metallic. That's what you just stop eating because it's and so gross. Yeah, you, you don't yeah. really want to eat. And so the Parmesan cheese still tastes good. Um, all that fat. Yeah, all that fat. Mars bars still taste good to me after those many days. Yeah. I don't eat a lot of chocolate bars. I try not to eat that stuff out there. I yeah. find it. I my energy levels too uh, too volatile when I eat like Snickers and Mars and high sugar. Yeah, what I find too. Well, obviously, you probably it happens to everyone. I think, but you get a really really raw tongue. Yeah, like I found, and and I wasn't eating a lot of bad food on on the couple races I did, but I think it's just because you're eating the same junk all the time, and it just the cankers on your tongue, and it gets dry and sore, and mm-hmm. yeah, I remember that was kind of annoying. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you have to be careful with the with the high sugar foods for that. Yeah, it just like burns your skin, and and you have to eat them so uh-huh. often. You don't have to, but well, yeah, sometimes but that's all there is. If you're right? gonna fuel, you know, if you're gonna fuel with with candy, then yeah, you gotta oh, eat a, a lot of candy, frequent a candy. lot of candy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. So, what other food food tips do you have? So, you you dehydrate. I dehydrate my own food. Yeah. What's your favorite dehydrated meal that you make? Um, so our our classic is burritos. Yeah. Um, where you can bring some burrito shells out. We usually bring those fresh. Uh, I've heard various techniques for dehydrating them and stuff, and I I just take the hit and eat the burritos on the first night. Right. And um, so there's um, two components to that, and one is the fresh burrito shells, and the other is the uh, the cheese and the uh, refried beans. The refried beans I make myself. Oh, nice. And then I dehydrate them. Huh. And uh, I find I can uh, I can make them, uh, you know, the way I like them, fairly tasty. And, uh, and the dehydrated rather than freeze-dried seems to work really well with them. Um, they take forever to rehydrate if you leave them as whole beans, but if you run oh, the immersion, yeah, you run the immersion blender through there to make them like, a, you know, like you get out of the can, like you like get that out paste, of the, right? The, yeah, the paste yeah. or the the pouch. You see how all these uh, Baja Divide guys that uh, bring the uh, I forget the brand uh, Isabel, maybe. Yeah, there's a Mex- popular Mexican brand of of bagged beans. Really good brand. But um, they're they're heavy. They're not dehydrated, right? So, so I mean, you cook them up can, like a regular legume, or they're dehydrated. Yeah, so I I cook them up first, and then I dehydrate oh, right. them. And then once they're dehydrated, I can just rehydrate them like a, like a freeze dried meal. And um, my bowl has a has a screw on lid. Nice, oh, so you can keep it all warm. So I can keep it all warm. And then if it's winter, I'll put that. Um, Either in my hat, or (laughs) or in a, um, I have a neoprene laptop sleeve that I can. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And it will also work to keep the, um, 
to keep the dehydrated uh, pouch meals warm while they're rehydrating. Have you ever heard of Darwin on the Trail? Have you seen him on YouTube? I uh, do not think so. He's like, I think he would call himself hiker trash, like adoringly. He's yes. he's like a really experienced ultralight um, multi-day backpacker. Like his pack is okay. like nothing. He's a big Cuban fiber guy. Right on. Cuban? Cuban? Yeah. Okay. So one of those. <laughs> I, actually, uh, Dyneema, Dyneema Fiber is the... Uh, oh, is that the new one? The official new name for it. Oh, uh, Dyneema. Dyneema. It's like sail fabric, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. But he uh, he had a couple of videos on YouTube with the same thing. So he dehydrated dehydrated a meal, and then he used a certain pot, and he made a, a cozy or a koozie, depending on what you want to say, out of that uh, um, windshields. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The, you know the mylar bubble wrap. That's yeah, awesome. So he'd cut that out, and he'd make a ring, and he made a little lid for it. Yeah. So he can basically just put the hot water in there, and just put the lid on it. And it completely insulates it, and that stuff doesn't weigh anything. Yeah, and you can use that as a, a sleeping pad as well. I think as an yeah, insulated. you can use it as a sleeping pad. Uh, it has the jiffy, jiffy pop factor on your sleeping bag. <laughs> it's a bit crunchy. Um, oh, the uh, you mean the, the peeling makes it makes it kind of silver after right. a while. Yeah, um, and um, but but it's yeah it's it's a cool material. You can do. There's so much little so many little tweak I, I i work at a hardware store i'm a shipper receiver there i'm always looking around for something yeah like you know this someone gave me a roll of this velcro yeah you might know this from the it world right yeah this yeah, wrap cut, velcro. yeah yeah and uh this is the nice wide stuff someone found a tool pouch at work and she said oh look at this stuff I'm like, oh my god i want that velcro, <laughs> Can I <have> that velcro? <laughs> so yeah that's my uh, i've got a big roll of it like this big around in there actually but yeah there's so many like handy little what else do you uh what's another hardware store tip um well gorilla tape uh, yeah i think that's Got some of that on my pump i think just about everybody has uh, either around your pump around your seat post yeah um and uh, or around your um you know that that extra um, bit on the front of uh, if you have the jones uh, loop bars oh yeah yeah i do you have the uh the bit on the front well, if you wrap your uh, your spare duct tape around there, it also makes it the right di- oh, diameter yeah. to hold your light clamps. That's such a good <laughs> idea. It's too skinny for light clamps, right? That's such a good idea. Yeah, I use a my light because I don't run a dynamo. I use a like a headlamp. Yeah, um, I'm not gonna say the name unless they want to sponsor us. But it's uh, it's an awesome awesome headlamp, and uh, it takes like four batteries. Got an external battery pack. Yeah. But, um, I couldn't mount it. I well, I did mount it, but I used um, uh, like drop bar tape, like okay. roadie, roadie tape, yeah. to kind of build up a thing. But man, why didn't I think of using gorilla tape? Yeah, that's so hilarious. But yeah. then, yeah, I guess if you're using a lot of it, then you wouldn't have a way to mount your light anymore. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> the thing is, you know, if you need it for, uh, you know, it's probably half my first aid kit right there. <laughs> you can close big gashes in your legs. Yeah, like, just close and super glue. Do you bring super glue? Uh, I don't good bring super glue. It's, yeah, I don't. It either. is good for cuts, I'm told, but um, I I do not bring it. Um, what I what I find with uh, most adhesives is that if you're not careful, you, you, <laughs> you get uh, into trouble. You you. Um, no, you you leave it in your toolkit for uh, a year, and then when you do need it, oh, this uh, oh, it's done. Seam grip is a solid instead of a liquid. And you know what? That's a friendly reminder. A reminder for people who have patch kits in their toolkits is to check, yes, your, glue check your glue because it 
just disappears. It yep. doesn't leak. It just evaporates. It's a it's it, a solvent in it yeah. that, that evaporates. Exactly. And, you know, the patch kits I've been leaning on are more the automotive ones, the vulcanizing automotive patch kits. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you slit your your sidewall, a lot of people carry you know thread or floss or yeah whatever. But if you get the vulcanizing uh, automotive patch kits and you get those big patches, that'll melt into your sidewall. Like oh. yeah, so clean up your sidewall, and then it's not rubber cement; it's some other chemical patch. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's some a, and it's like don't inhale, don't touch, don't look at it. Right? It's really gnarly. Yeah. But you put that on that cut, and you put those patches on. You can watch them like just become one with the tire. So that would be my recommendation because I find that for the stick-on patches are useless. Yeah. Right. The, the 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 bicycle ones. I don't know what they're like in the winter. I have no idea what it would be like to patch a, a tube in the winter. It'd probably suck. You know, in many uh, different ways. <laughs> I, I run. I, I try and run my fat bikes tubeless. Uh, mostly. Do you run tubeless? I run tubeless um, mostly because I find you can ride probably twice as much. Um, when it's marginal conditions with tire pressure, you can go down to, you, you can like, go down to lower tire pressure and, um, and you can also, yeah, my, my family are mocking me in the background because the, <laughs> giggles the, all around the tube, uh, the tubeless in, in winter is, mm. is, um, there's a couple of good systems and then there's the, uh, jury rigged systems and the jury rigged systems generally, uh, slowly leak over time and so do you have proper tubeless ready rims uh i i don't and so, so i just tape up, up every 15 minutes and <clears throat> oh so they do are you did you do the split tube method like the ghetto uh, split tube or uh some of them i have these uh, fatty strippers don't order them online fatty strippers. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like they're essentially uh um, a latex exercise band uh, you know the stretchy bands that people use as as a weight training band oh yeah and they're they're in a uh, a loop so they go around your rim yeah and do you use that i use that That's and so they crazy. seal That's really so well against the uh against the two the the um sidewall of the tire right and they're not too thick and they're not thick at all and they're inexpensive and uh they they give you the the compliance that that the tubeless so if you pack a tube in and it's hard to explain this without drawing a picture but if you imagine your tire uh profile if you're looking at it from inside the tube um your your tire profile is kind of an oval where you want it to stretch out to the side right and if you put a tube in there, that tube is more or less a circle in the center of that oval. Yes. So your sidewalls are much less supported than the part that the tube is touching. That makes sense. So then when you get down to three PSI, your uh, tube is in the center of your tire at three PSI. Your sidewalls are at one PSI. Interesting. And the tube is pushing into the snow. The sidewalls are spreading out, but the tube is not spreading out against the sidewalls. So then when you get to the really marginal conditions, that's where. I mean, that totally makes sense to me because, you know, I run tubeless in the summer. Yeah. But I'm running rolling Darrells and I just, you know, I, I always, I'm not a weight weenie. 
Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'd always think about, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to make this rim tubeless, you know, how am I going to seal the rim for one? So one, I'm going to probably still have my rim strip in there. I'm probably going to leave that in there. Yeah. And then I might run a, 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 a layer of some sort of tape. Yeah. Either fiber tape. That's one thing you can get at the hardware store that's pretty handy, actually, is fiber tape. Fiber tape is, <clears throat> is a good one. Yeah. Uh, tuck tape I've used. Yeah, tuck tape. I've heard tuck tape's really good. Um, but then, so now I've got my rim strip. Now I've got, say, a roll or um, a couple a couple rounds of Gorilla Tape or some other fiber tape. And then I've put, how many ounces of uh, sealant do you put in your... So six ounces. I'm I'm a I'm a thrifty kind of guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally I generally start them out with about six, and then right. when I when I replace, I go with three or four. Yeah, like when you top up. Uh, I don't I don't really I don't necessarily top up. I just assume that the sidewall is sealed. Um, oh, I see. I, I drain out the right. the <clears throat> goopy clear liquid that's in there. Pull out any uh, yetis. Yeah, that stand animals, animals, <laughs> uh, uh, boogers, boogers <laughs> that have formed in there, and then I uh, I pop the new sealant in, and uh, the the new sealant I go light on because I assume those sidewalls are. Yeah, that's like the bead around the well, bead. It's been set. It's they're sealed. well coated. They're well sealed. <clears throat> And so all I need is something to, to clear the punctures. In the winter, you know, uh, I love sealant. Uh, in the summer, when you get a puncture and you can watch it seal up. Yeah. Um, in the winter, I've never seen that happen. The tiniest of... Oh, um, you mean it won't seal? It won't seal. It, it will... The stands is great. It'll stay liquid right down to minus 20 and it recovers if it goes colder than that it recovers and it right. still will seal when it gets back up to about five but it, it's not going to seal that puncture if you if you do get a puncture at, at minus you know 15. right so why seals. are you running tubeless in the winter strictly for the con <laughs> strictly for the conformity where yeah for where sure that sidewall has the same pressure as the center of the tire yeah the tire spreads out that yeah. much wider and it has even pressure across the whole bottom of the tire it, so it all makes sense to me because that's laying down a six inch footprint yes um, actually i saw a picture today i was i was getting ready writing some notes down i was looking at your instagram on my computer yeah and i think you were towing uh Maybe been Fiona on your on a toboggan or something, but yeah, I, yeah, bike, yeah. I looked at your back tire. And I was like, "Damn, that thing's got maybe a pound in it." It was yeah. like it looked the contact patch was massive. Yeah, and that was one was actually sort of an illusion in that. Oh, was it? Because you're sinking in. <laughs> you no, you oh, could okay. you could sort of see um, part of my boot kind of blended in with the tire. I know the picture you mean. Yeah, and I I didn't notice it until afterwards, but. Um, yeah, I, I've certainly run that low of pressure where you get that massive contact patch and it's six inches wide. And even <clears throat> even today, if we were stepping off the bikes, we were punching through the trail. Right, but you can ride on it. But we can ride on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, you unfortunately missed the Fat Bike Summit because your furnace. Yes. And you got that fixed. It's MacGyvered up. It's MacGyvered up, <laughs> yes. I, I stripped it all down and I cleaned the... Clean the intake port and clean the uh, firebox and uh, um, 
I think one of the relays was sticking. Oh. And so I cleaned all the relays in the hopes that it will continue to work. Hopefully it works. I, the, the thing that, that uh, I found most interesting about the Fat Bike Summit was they brought up, um, so you go into a community or you go on into a resort and they groom trails and then they have parameters right around um, using those trails. And one of them was, was tire pressure. And yeah. uh, I found that quite interesting because, you know, as, as fat bikers, we'll go out, we'll commute to our trail yeah. right, and we'll run them hard to get there. And then as soon as before you even go to the trail, you get off your bike and you take off half the air, right? You, yeah. You let it all out. You're down to like four or five pounds and then you go. So they had, um, I thought that was really interesting because, yeah. uh, um, because it preserves the trail really. Yeah. Cause you, if you run a hard tire, Oh, you're just going to cut right in, even though it's, you've got four or five inches of tire under you, but you take all that air out and suddenly it's a snowshoe yeah. and you're not going to wreck the trail. It's, right? it's spreading out. It's, it's, and it makes the difference between, you know, pushing your bike and, and yeah. riding it. And I've ridden with lots of like groups Yeah, and uh, you, you see the new guys uh, struggle. Oh no, Tanya has a tick. You have a tick. Yeah. Everybody's got ticks. <laughs> Radium hot springs. Where is it? Is it there? Yeah. He's going to give it a yank. Oh, my wife will freak out. She's going to have, I'm going to have to run a comb. Wow, look at that one, hey? Well, everyone, if you're out in the Kootenays and you're going to go biking, make sure that you check for ticks because these guys have only been here since when? Uh, Friday. Friday. Today is uh, Sunday, it's Sunday evening, and uh, Ty came in here with a with a tick. Who's checked Fiona? Has anyone checked Fiona yet? I did a, I did a quick check on her this morning. Look at your mop, dude. Do you have any ticks in there? <laughs> I had a quick go. Fiona, <laughs> we can edit this out. Yeah. It's pretty entertaining to watch, though. I checked and checked and checked, and then finally I found a bump. Wow, it's in there, eh? Okay, so so Doug, what's what's the proper tick removal technique? Do you pull them straight out? Do you unscrew them? Uh, so you, so you, you do not unscrew them. You pull them uh, with gentle but firm pressure, steadily back at an angle. So imagine <laughs> this is great podcast material. Yeah. It, Yes. Okay, okay, so he's going to describe what he's doing while he's taking a tick out of his wife's neck. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get my phone out. Can I take a picture of your neck? Yeah, oh yeah. Come on, it's fun. Nice. This is going to be the best podcast ever. <laughs> Live action. No, it's great. This, this is what people dig. People really like the convo and the just kind of wherever it goes. Nice work. Look at that. Like a surgeon. <laughs> like a surgeon. <laughs> Touch the Is it holding on? There. Nice. Oh, look at that. Eh? Look at that thing. Hang on. I'm getting another picture of that thing. Oh, it's crawling. It's going to look for a place to embed itself in yeah, Doug's it's hand. Try and bite me. We can add it to the Tupperware. You can add it to the tick collection. <laughs> You're keeping them. <laughs> yeah, well, you can bring them in. You can, you can, bring you can them take them into the... Oh, right, to get them tested. Yeah. Right. Do they do that for free? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Because, man, I've heard that in BC, if you get bit by a tick and you want to get it tested, it's like 200 bucks. Really? Well, oh, I don't no. know. I, 
I usually just let them kind of feed on me for a while and then they'll kind of eventually just fall off. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. crazy. Okay, who's going to... Okay, Doug. You need to check any other hair take that the clothes you off. have. Yeah. That's, that's the other place they... Uh... Crazy. So since I've been in this condo, there's been like three... Two tick incidents. Two tick incidents? Yeah. That's and crazy. <clears throat> I'll have to check her again. Oh, what's this on my neck? Oh, no. I'm looking. I'm digging into Doug's hair here. No, I don't see anything. Okay. Now you're just paranoid. Yeah, they do. Yeah, no, that's what I felt. Oh, my gosh. Way. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's... You guys, sorry, this is a stupid question. Do you get ticks out there? In oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Minnewonka has. Oh, yeah. Fiona had three one time she went there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's bananas. And then uh, Tig and I went out last spring and we used the Minnewonka Trail. And we were sitting by the fireplace or by the, the eating area at uh, a further in campground where there's a lot of uh, sheep and uh goats and whatnot and um we we were just basically looking around and you, you could you had to check yourself to see them crawling across you every few minutes and we found i think how many did you find tig i found i found seven i think not in me oh but my gosh. crawling around and then the guy who was sitting next to us at the fire was just like reaching down into this pile of leaves and picking up the ticks and throwing them in the hole. Oh <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we haven't had a lot of snowpack this year. And, you know, I don't know what the conditions are Yeah, uh, for tick uh, population increase, but um, apparently it's really bad this year. Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm worried it's going to be gnarly for fires this year, actually, out here. Yeah. It's <clears throat> already, it's super dry, right? You know, as wet as you said, it's being on the trails and whatnot, which it has. That's just because they're they're not thought out yet. Yeah, they're it's not dry. draining. Once they start to drain, they're pretty dry. Yeah. I got to go over my notes here again. I really like where this conversation is going. It's everywhere. It's fantastic. Um, You'll have a lot of editing work. No, no. You know what? Um, no, it's fine. No, it's good. Um, this I can edit this out. <clears throat> Essentially, the systems, sleep systems. We talked about shelters. You're a tarp guy. Yeah, square, rectangle. We had a bit of a conversation. So like that. yeah, I I, I, about that. <laughs> I I had a rectangle tarp for a long time, and I I really liked it. And I originally kind of bought it with the idea that it would be a lightweight um, sort of secondary shelter for cooking or for um, right. if we were, if we were all hiking on the trail and we needed somewhere to sit and just get out of the rain to eat lunch for day hikes for whatever. So our first time hiking the Berg Lake trail up at Mount Robson, we, uh, hiked up there and, um, we set it up for a cooking shelter thinking, yeah, we'll, and, and then it didn't, it stopped raining and we didn't need it as a cooking shelter. And we offered Fiona, we said, well, you know, do you want to sleep under it? Thinking that, you know, if Fiona and I slept under the tarp, that it would free up some space in the tent for Tanya and Tig. It was, you know, a four-man, um, we have a, 
an, uh, Hyperlane Mountain Gear Ultimate, which is a great tent. It's it's a that's true, like a tarp tent, isn't it? It's is it like a doesn't tarp. have a floor. It doesn't have a floor, <laughs> but we have a bug net insert right. that's um, got a floor in it. So ah, right. it, you know, for us, it has a has a floor, has everything. That's a really good idea, actually, having the bug tent. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it's a good idea. And it's, you know, it's fits the four people, sleeps four people easily, fits their, you know, gear and stuff. Um, it's it's pretty generous by four-person tent standards, but, you know, free up some extra space. And uh, so Fiona and I slept out under the, the tarp. And, Wow. It was nice, uh, hey? It was amazing. It was, um, we were drier in the morning. Yeah, I noticed that for sure. And we were, uh, Fiona loved the, the panoramic view. Yeah. Um, that takes a bit of getting used to when you wake yes. up in the middle of the night and you can see into the woods. And you can see it can into be kind the of woods. A bit of a and um, <clears throat> that, that happened, you, you may have read on the, on my blog about the porcupine encounter. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, a porcupine was. Uh, I'll cut it short, but it's essentially, a porcupine was was chewing on Tanya's hiking pole, which was <laughs> salty. And I reached out to pull what I thought was uh, Fiona's flip flop away from the porcupine, not knowing it was a porcupine. <laughs> I think it was a marmot. Would you grab its foot or something? I I I just went to grab the flip flop. But the flip-flop was somewhere else, and the porcupine was chewing on the hiking pole, and I basically smacked the, the porcupine in the head and got two quills firmly embedded oh, no. in my middle finger. <laughs> so I gave the porcupine the middle finger for a while. <laughs> that's in a lot of pain. So and some drawbacks to tarps. That's definitely a drawback to tarps. Um I've I've also met a guy who um, woke up to a uh, moose licking his face. <laughs> not right now, honey. <laughs> yes. Come on, not right now. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, de definitely uh, drawbacks. But um, as far as lightweight, um, my current yeah. tarp is a is a homemade. It's it's catenary cut, so you can really only set it up as an A frame. Um, sorry, what's that word? It's a big word. So catenary cut is <laughs> the shape which a rope will take on if it's suspended between two points. Oh, interesting. It, it so it has a, a saddle in it. has a saddle. Ah, uh, okay. And that means that the water doesn't pool on it like it does on a rectangular tarp. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't create those pools at the bottom. If you, if, but if you pitch it correctly, you're not going to get... Even, yeah, this one, even if you pitch it kind of loose and, and if you have sill nylon or anything, um, they, they do come loose over, you know, during the night or if they get wet. So, right. They stretch out and come um, and, and mine is sill poly, so it stretches a little less, but it's still, um, I, I definitely find the catenary cut gives me less water pooling in, in, um, and way more wind shedding ability than the uh, than the rectangular tarp. Right. And we were under a rectangular tarp for you know four years, um, and steadily you know one weekend every month. And uh, so you know 
I, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about the rectangular tarp because I, I love it. I, if I didn't have the catenary cut tarp, I would go back to the rectangle in a flash. Um, so the catenary cut tarp is square. It is, um, ish sort of a rectangle ish and it's got a, like a beak at the front. So it's got like a, a front end, like so it a actually traditional is shaped tent. A it's bit. shaped a bit like a tent. I see. So it's stitched with yeah. a shape. Okay. Yeah. Stitched with this shape. And then I, I seam sealed it. And um, because I made it myself, I I could go with a few things that I thought would um, work well. And I, you know, poured over the internet and looked at, you know, what are the really, you know, the lightweight gurus using. Yeah. And what are the the DIY make your own gear gurus doing? Um, and I kind of you know hybridized what they were doing with um, my my favorite of the commercial shaped tarps is the um, the HMG Echo. Uh, it's uh, again like a an A frame tarp with a beak on the front. Okay. And they they also sell a bug insert for it. And yeah, anyways, it's the, so far the, the catenary cut tarp has been a, a winner for us. Yeah. I think there's a bit more science to a tarp, you know, like yeah. where you are and then what's around and Absolutely. whether you're going to run a ridgeline or not. I like, I prefer not to run a ridgeline cause I always find it just takes up too much space. Yeah. Um, so if, if people don't know where your ridgeline is, it can be an issue. Yes, I'll walk through it. But uh, the, my logic with the square was uh, I, I had already bought my rectangle tarp, and I love mine as well. I love the different pitch options. Um, but one I think is really handy is that plow point. Yes. So if you take your square tarp, imagine, and you turn it into a diamond shape, and you connect one corner of the diamond, you can either use a toggle and put it between two trees, yeah, or you know just rope it out that way. You're you're reducing your tie downs. Because Absolutely. I find with a rectangle, I have to do all these different tie downs to, to get that the long edge to stay taut. Yeah. Where the square, you can kind of give it that, um, and you can kind of still give it a peak, like you say, so you could face it into the wind. You yeah. know what I mean? You could you could have the one point of the diamond in a tree, and then the other point tacked right to the ground, and then yeah. you could have your sidewall, um, the the other points, the side points of that diamond. And depending on, down as well. And depending on how wide uh-huh. you spread them yeah. is, is how tall your plow point needs to yeah. be. Yeah, or if you need it super tight, you can just like like you just cinch it right, right down to the right ground. Down, yeah, right I really love low. my tarp. And, but then you see people pull out their, their like big, big Agnes one-person tent, and they basically like throw it, and it's like pop. You know, it's it's a, it's, it's so, so fast to put it's up. It's instant. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if now I'm to the point where it's like if it's blue sky, I just won't put it up. Yeah, I just don't even bother, and and uh, I find a lot of people really uncomfortable with that. Like, yeah, you're definitely. very exposed. Like, you're laying in the middle of the forest on a pad with nothing around you. But honestly, guys, a piece of nylon is not going to keep anything from you. So it's like it, it's it's a mental thing it for is you. I think completely having a, a house. Thing. Yeah, you have to be comfortable being naked because <laughs> there's nowhere to change. Yes. So you're just like doing your thing right out in the open. But and, whatever, it's nature. And, and really, the, the other weekend, uh, e- even though my, my campsite was only 11 kilometers from the trailhead, I was fairly certain nobody was going to be happening along. Yeah, right. And if they did, so what? And if they did, I was putting on my clothes inside my sleeping bag anyway. Right. So you're being modest. Yeah. It's very modest of you. Yeah. So right. would you use a tarp in the winter? 
Um, so or all the time, or you just a tarp guy? That that weekend, I had a tarp with me. I didn't bother to use it because I I find that the heat gain from it is mostly from wind protection, right? And um, there were a lot of stars out that night. Oh, beautiful! I was really interested in looking at the stars. Yeah, I sort of deliberately picked the the new moon weekend so that there would be less moon. Um, right, nice and dark. Nice and dark. Had high hopes of, you know, I always have high hopes of seeing the northern lights. And uh, I didn't that night. But, um, you know, you, you kind of wish for, for uh, you, you plan for, for what you want. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I just, I just you know, shovel, shoveled myself a, a little trench in the snow that I could lie down in. Which is super warm. And as really. soon as I stopped biking, I I shoveled my trench, I laid out my sleeping pad, my, my uh, sleeping bag, and I got in. So you're good to go. Then I cooked dinner. Right, so you're just kind of hanging out in your... So uh, I was hanging out in my sleeping bag, staying warm. Because by then I had noticed, well, hey, it's, you know, minus 30-something. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, it, it was... Uh, that was probably the safest place to be. Absolutely. Yeah, as in your shelter. Your shel- yeah. That's your shelter. Your, that's your shelter. You know, your, your bag and your bivvy. Your shelter, you know, had the wind picked up. Um, I would have been down low enough to be a little bit sheltered from the wind. You just might have woken up buried. Um there was that chance it was forecast to be a clear night and it was a clear night beautiful all night so yeah i mean other than the fact that i was i was looking out through i had my my uh sleeping hood cinched up to about two inches (laughs) (laughs) that's so nice so cozy yeah that's awesome uh, it doesn't give you a lot of peripheral vision, so you have to turn your head to <laughs> look at the individual stars almost. But That's hilarious. So then going back to that, so now we're back to your scouting trip. You slept. You got up in the – you decided not to continue because you didn't have your tracker. Yeah, I, so. I didn't have my tracker, and I thought, well, you know, Tanya's either going to worry or she's going to think that – my trackers, you know, my tracker, if it had still been transmitting, would have said that I was still in the same spot, still in the same spot, still in the same spot. And at some point she'd say, well, you know, he's not sending me messages and he's still in the same spot. Right. Better send somebody. Right. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to risk that. I didn't want to risk sending uh, SAR out in, you know, minus 30 degree weather for no reason. Because yeah. I was fine. Search and um, rescue is so important, man. They, they are absolutely They're important. not funded. They're, they're not, not funded. funded. They're they're chronically underfunded. Yeah. They are mostly volunteers. Really experienced, and, talented volunteers, actually. We have a, a SAR group here, my wife. Yeah. used to volunteer for her with the kids. We don't have time really now. But I know she'd love to get back into it. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, so you don't you don't want to you don't want to call out a false alarm. No, because those people have families too, and and so yeah, basically I had no choice. That said, my my inreach had its last reported position was within a ski pole's length of, of where you were, of where I found it. <laughs> oh right, I because I went I went back after I after I checked on the computer and I. I put the spot into my into my GPS, and uh, and I went out there to where the inReach said it was, 
And I, I started looking around and I thought, you know, I guess I could have lost it anywhere around here. So I had my, you know, I had my shovel with me prepared to dig up 100, 200, 300 meters of trail if I had to. Um, and, uh, but I just started raking with my ski pole and within nice. a minute it popped out. That's awesome. Under an inch of snow. Cause they're not cheap. No, <laughs> they're not cheap. <laughs> I lost my GoPro at the summit and, uh, I mean, they're not as expensive as an inch, yeah, but I was like, oh, still... damn, man, I use that thing all the time. Yeah. Why can't it have a GPS in it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why can't it call in and tell you where it is? So do you think, uh, going back, um, is there, are you going to think of another route for that ultra? I'm really interested in doing so something I'm, like that. I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, cause we talked about the, the level of expense involved in going to one of these winter ultras, like an ITI else. or something like going to the ITI, yeah, you're, logistics you're looking are crazy. at several thousand bucks Absolutely. of getting there. And, and, you know, I, I'd really like to go back right now. I can't afford it. And so bring it to me. Yeah. That's a great idea. Um, and then I think there's so many semi-maintained, even roads. Yeah. That could still be a really tough push, right? Yeah. That was one of the things that I, I did include in this route I planned out and basically it was just to pad out the distance because um, if you put something like this on, if you, you plan out a race and I want it to be, you know, very, very low key, um, where um you you um run it as a you know no entrance fee or or a minimal where people pay to um uh you guys have talked to them the um like track leaders matthew lee yeah track leaders um yeah you know you pay your track leaders fee and basically go here's a here's a route here's your Oh, and it's making sense to me now because before you had said that, yeah, I was thinking of maybe trying to figure out a way that I could track the spots. But yeah. now given your tech background, it totally makes sense to me. Yeah. You could probably, what, just code something up to collect that? Well, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the guys at Track Leaders have already done that. And Oh, so could you actually, is that open source code that you could? So, so they'll actually basically host it on their site each oh, racer pays uh, a nominal fee it's usually about 20 bucks something oh right yeah. for something like this where there would be a very small number of racers it might be might be a little more but um but definitely you know very affordable yeah and it's and you know it's there's no entry fee so no really entry fee to, to pay a few bucks basically pay a few bucks and then go out and ride and people could follow along the action yeah. at home. People love dot watching. It's yeah. super fun. Yeah, you can you can watch the bouncing <laughs> flags and they, you know they've they've got that thing so slick now. I, I super was, slick. I was watching the ITI on track leaders uh, all the last um, you know three weeks or so. Um, just finished a short while ago. What about something like? Canmore to Coleman. Yeah, that's definitely a route with uh with potential. It's a couple hundred couple hundred K. A couple hundred K road. And it would be uh, and and there are some closed roads along there. <clears throat> um, Excuse me. There's there's another one, there's another potential route from uh essentially from you know, somewhere near Canmore 
down through Peter Lougheed Park. You can go uh, another 70 kilometers if you once you get over um, uh, what's that pass? Elk, Elk Pass into uh, BC Elk Lakes Provincial Park. Uh, south of there is Groomed Snowmobile Trail, which from experiences, you know, it was rideable back in the... Possible. Might walk. You'd be walking maybe, but... You'd be walking maybe. some of the time, but, you know, for sure be passable. That's and, a great idea. Uh, and then you can, you know, you can pad out your, your distance that way because, you know, you really want to have something that's... You want to have the the uh, average person be starting out, and you know, not entirely certain they're going to finish. Yeah, it needs to be challenging, it, and I, especially with the winter ultra. I don't know if you'd want to make it that accessible. Like, you want to make sure that the people are coming out. Like, you need to have your own spot. You need to have your mm-hmm. own. You need to be self sufficient. You need to have a tracker. You need to have all the gear. Like, yeah. would, would you run some? Because does the ITI run kind of a um, the ITI does not run a gear check or oh, prerequisite gear. Um, and I thought they did. Part of the reason that that was the big reason they made it an invitational was because you have to basically present when you apply to race, you have to present some credentials. You have to know that you can manage outside. Yeah, so how could you make say say you called it the Trunk Forty Ultra? Yeah, and could you uh, approach uh, the ITI folk and have that added to their roster of legitimate rides to qualify for the ITI? I I believe you could. Yeah, um, the the folks that run it are uh, are very open to that kind of thing. Um, That'd be cool. And again, that's that's why they made it an invitational was so that they could um, select out the the inexperienced the you know the people who think it's a lark it's not no no it's not <laughs> it's, it's so unpredictable it's right? unpredictable like you can't go into that with uh, lighthearted like you have to go into that you have to go go into that planning for you know what if you have to sleep out at minus 40 what if you have to sleep out at minus 40 for three nights um yeah you know, what if you fall in the creek and have to sleep out at minus 40 for three nights? Right. Yeah. So that'd be great. I think that'd be fantastic to have something like that. Yeah. But, but you know, make it the, the, the thing you did, it sounded a little gnarly. That scared the crap yeah. out of me when you were talking about, oh, you know, I went 400, well, 400 meters in an hour. It's like, and oh, that, my goodness. Like, that's you know, crazy. And that is that is absolutely worst case. Um, I did spend an entire day on the ITI where I traveled. I I spent wow. eighteen hours and and I traveled uh, fifteen miles. Wow, that's crazy. And that was you know uh, step step thigh deep snow. <laughs> step step reach back grab the bike lift it up over the thigh deep snow oh throw it goodness. ahead of me as far as my arms could reach and then step step again. Do you think you do you find yourself uh, a mentally pretty secure guy? Well, not secure is the wrong word, but a pretty mentally stable guy in those conditions. Because yeah. I think a lot of people would, including myself, would have to. They would be teetering precariously on going nuts, doing stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of people get 
very frustrated doing that. That's not my frustration point. My frustration point lies elsewhere. Right. Um, Cause that's the, the biggest thing I think with, with any of these, whether it be in the summer or winter is just your mental fortitude to be able to get yeah. through those moments that are testing you. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I, I kind of enjoy those moments and yeah. because when do you feel more alive than when you're pushing yourself to the, the limit? Um, yeah. You know, you, we've, in, in the bikepacking community, we've seen it. We've seen it with, uh, you know, a few recent deaths. Um, you know, Ryan Corey is is an obvious one. We've we've seen um, others recently, and it it's sort of a a push in the direction of, well, you know, I'm I'm eventually going to die. And I, sh- I might as well live a little. I want to have lived, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and my blog entry on that, on that trip, I think I, I did a good job summing it up saying, you know, like, yeah, this was a total failure as far as a camping ride went, but, you know, imagine how far ahead I am than the version of me in the alternate universe that didn't even, you know, stay home, watch TV. Yeah. It's those decisions that yeah creates a different version of yourself and you can say now when you look back on that or i mean your kids are living it mm-hmm. but you know you're you can tell your maybe your grandkids that yeah it's like oh, grandpa's crazy oh yeah he went out of minus 40 uh, it's like that's that's awesome to be able to to share that and yeah and I, um it was a when i was talking to katrina just talking about getting out with your family and we'll, let's talk about that next getting out with your family and sharing that experience with them and and setting a really good example for mm-hmm. for like you know uh, you know we may not have the best most fulfilling career yeah but you 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 work to make money so that you can live and do these personal challenges and extend yourself and push the limits of what you think you're physically and mentally capable of yeah. And that's what makes you feel alive. It's not it's not the job. The job is just a facilitator to that. If you can love what you do for a living, man, I envy you. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. But if as long as you use you you stay motivated to push yourself, and I think that's why I need to do one of these races every year. It's just it's for my own Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's for my own it's to clear your head. Clear your head. It's to get out there and and you know see if you can yeah and you're teaching your kids that yeah like your your kids already do that and and they're you know they're they're young and they're and you know they might they might get out of it and they're they're in the room here so i gotta watch what <laughs> but i think honestly you guys you guys are really fortunate to have um parents who are sharing that experience with you because i think that's it's amazing and uh and yeah they're gonna grow up to be pretty bomber kids like they're gonna they're gonna be able to live through that adversity because life's not easy yeah right I mean, and you take them out camping in minus 30 that's not easy that takes no, a lot of work it's not easy it takes work for sure yeah and, and i think we as humans get used to being comfortable and i yeah. think being uncomfortable 
can be the most comforting thing. It can be. Yeah, you you it makes you realize, you know, just how I I mean that said, I you know, I I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I go out and and suffer cuz usually in the moment I'm enjoying it. Yeah, you're not really suffering. You're not really suffering. You're just pushing yourself a little. Just seeing if you can, you know, trying to do it a little. <laughs> what? And Tanya's saying, except that one time. <laughs> <laughs> Where we suffered. It was the horrible. <laughs> it was suffering. It, you know, it was kind of suffering. It, it was definitely type two fun where it was more fun to talk about it afterwards. Was this the whole family? This was the whole family. And we yeah. went out for the weekend and we, we had a great time camping. It didn't get above minus 20 the whole weekend. But we had a great time camping. We camped out for two nights at that point. It's easy five kilometer walk in, except that the trail was completely drifted over. So we couldn't find the trail. So we ended up shortcutting through a, a giant rock garden area. And Were you on snowshoes? Uh, no. You were biking? Snow no, we were. We, snowshoes would have been good that trip. <laughs> yeah, we forgot the snowshoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they were in the car. Oh, no. The, Should we bring the snowshoes? In the car. No. No, no, it's no. It's nice. fine. It's it's snowing, but there's not that much snow on the ground. But by the time we got closer to the campground, that end of the lake had sort of drifted in. And so it had a lot of snow. And so it was... Once we found the campground, though, we, we shortcut it across the lake. We got to the campground and we had a great time. The kids built a loose track down um, a slope that was behind the campground. And they were riding down our with their pulk sleds. They were riding down their loose, loose track and having a great time. And we stayed a couple of nights and we woke up on Sunday morning. And uh, Fiona and I had slept in a Quincy... Uh, we we found a Quincy that somebody had already made. And oh, we, nice! We packed it down a little more and and dug a little more of the inside out, and then we we actually built our own Quincy as well. Quincy's a big pile of snow. A big pile of snow that you hollow inside. inside. <laughs> and uh, so Fiona and I had slept in there, and and it was nice and warm. Oh, yeah. and it was gorgeous. And we woke up in the morning, and there was about an inch of. Um, light showing at the top of the Quincy door. Oh, no. It's <laughs> so warm in here. I don't know why it's so warm. Yeah. And uh, now, fortunately, I had, you know, like when you build a Quincy, you build like a chimney to to make sure that you still have air. Right. And so that, that wasn't an issue. Suffocation wasn't necessarily an issue. Um, and I burrowed my way out, and it was nice fluffy snow but it was 70 centimeters of it overnight. Wow. On top of what it had been snowing the whole weekend. Oh, my God. So How old were your kids then? So standing up. This like was waist deep? Fiona would have been waist deep in snow. Was this last winter or the oh, okay. winter winter before last? Two your kids are ago. tall, so maybe ankle deep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was at least waist deep on them. And uh, oh, my, my hands were dragging. In oh, the snow, man. standing fully upright. I, I got pretty long legs. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so then it was complete whiteout conditions. And there was a big avalanche chute on the way back. So oh, we weren't no. about to risk 
taking that trail on the way back. So we decided we cut across lake. So we cut across lake and I was towing a polk sled and the polk sled was not floating at all on the top of this new fluffy more than a meter of snow. And so I would take a few steps and my, my goal was to take 20 steps at a time and I'd count out my 20 steps and, and I managed it twice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or I had a full 20 steps before I had to stop and catch my breath. And um, because the, the Polk sled was just submarining through this. Um, right. So. Whose idea was this anyway? <laughs> this this was my idea. <laughs> that that said, in hindsight, we were never in danger. But you're laughing, right? Like that's what's yeah. so great. It's it's it was rewarding. It was funny. We I mean, really. we were we were never in danger, and it was uncomfortable at times. And it was uncomfortable, right? But in hindsight. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> Tig would. Tig's like, yeah, he was yeah. The there's service out here. Tig was pulling the other sled. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Well, I feel your pain. Yeah. But look at you guys. You're all hanging out. Yeah. It's all we good. managed. Yeah. We managed. And, and yeah, we, we had a, a great story to tell about, about yeah. it. And see, we go, we got some great pictures of the, uh, the van buried by the 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 snowplow had gone by. Oh, no. So so you had to hike in and then shovel the van and out. And then shovel the van oh, out. Yeah, there gosh. was a there was a three meter snowbank between the oh, van no. and the road. But there were several people that thought you should have called for help on your inreach. Yes. What do you mean, like to get they the van just, out? They they thought it sounded too dangerous. Oh. <clears throat> Discomfort factor was, uh, was too high. That's, when that's all it was, we were. I was going to say that's relative. Yeah. Because I mean, you. I mean, there's no denying that you guys were well prepared. We you were, know, we, we were well prepared. Other than we the slept on the lake. <laughs> we were. We were definitely. We were definitely. Uh, that was you know, one of our friends' comments on Instagram. Why didn't you bring snowshoes? It's like shut up. They were in your block. car. Just block them. Yeah, I, I have this theory of, I call it the, the rolling shed, where I just put all of my winter gear in the in the van at, at the beginning of winter. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And, and you have everything. So there were snowshoes in my van. I would just worry about them getting ripped off. Yeah, you know, you do worry about that. <laughs> but um, at the same time, you know, we could have used snowshoes for that camping trip. But and, there was no snow on the ground. And there was, there was really... Very little stuff. Yeah, it's funny how it can change so fast. And that's that preparedness thing, right? Like uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like you said on the ITI, you know, you bought all this stuff out of fear. Excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. <clears throat> you buy all this stuff out of fear and then and then you left it behind. And just like the snowshoes, like, should we bring the snowshoes? I don't know, maybe. Well, the weather says it might snow. Ah, but yeah. there's no snow now. So, but no one would have expected a foot of snow well, not necessarily. A meter of snow. Oh, you said what? Like you said three seven. feet of snow, seventy oh, centimeters. Right, seventy. Sorry, it's like a thirty. Yeah, seventy centimeters overnight on top of the right. thirty or so. At least it was minus twenty snow and not like yeah, one yeah, degree that was snow. Nice <laughs> it was nice and fluffy. Still though, wow. But yeah. that's you know, and uh, do you think that 
Um, and this is just my observation. I've never met you guys as a family, but it seems like you guys are pretty tight. Yeah, we're pretty tight. You're pretty tight. Do you, do you find the, the camping thing, like the, the, the family adventures just bond you guys even more? And I would say. Like you trust each other. and I would say, yeah. Like yeah. definitely we, we can, you know, like Ty quite a while ago reached the status of adventure buddy. That's awesome. And, um, and, you know, Tanya, I know I can count on her in a, you know, in a crisis. Um, she she may complain about it, but she is a hundred percent reliable, and I know that you know I'm I'm in good hands. She's not gonna, you know, because I'm you know because she's uncomfortable because she has whatever you know a cold nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> I I know she's not reaching for the uh, for the the nine one one button every time you know, something bad happens. And, uh, you know, so it's fantastic. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely it's, it's a bonding thing. And, uh, until this fall, we had, uh, we had been out every month, but one since, what did I say? March, March, 2016 to, uh, September of 2018, we'd been out at least one weekend a month as a family. So in your, in your professional dad experience with the ages, your age of your kids, when was like the good time to start? Now my kids are four and uh, six. Yeah. And, um, that's a great time to start. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm thinking of some snowshoe trips. Maybe I like to take them out on and yeah, snowshoe trips. And uh, when they're little like that, often they can just walk on trails that yeah. that you could otherwise, you know, you might need snowshoes or pull them in, or they might need they might need snowshoes for you to pack down the trail, pull them in a toboggan, pull them in the uh, chariot with skis on it, right. Um, Fiona's first few trips, definitely I carried the chariot. Even if she wasn't in it, I had the chariot with me. You she mean like a stroller chariot? Like the chariot? A stroller, chariot? yeah, the stroller chariot. The, with the skis the, or? Um... The, with the skis on it. Yeah. And um, I actually had the wheels on it the first time she slept out of minus 20. <laughs> um, she was... Uh, just turned three. Yeah, just turned three. And um, she had been toilet trained about a week before the trip. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, so, that's so we decided to go. So we decided to go camping and we went um, and and it was a lot more um, a lot more winter than it had been in Calgary and, you know, in minus 20 at night. But we were all uh, warm and cozy in the tent, and and then uh, Fiona in uh, the morning was was up and eating granola in uh, bare feet, <laughs> st standing on a hunk of what we talked about before that uh, silver um, oh, yeah. windshield uh, insulation material, yeah, the silver bubble wrap. That's awesome. And um, yeah, she just stood on a hunk of that, and yeah, ate her granola. 
and uh, she really enjoyed that trip. Do you have any um, trips coming up, like like big planned trips coming up that you guys are going to do as a family? Uh, we're going to do the Rockwall Trail again this summer, and then we're trying to, you know, find other trips here and there. Well, we have fish fish lakes this summer. Uh, those are both hiking trips, and um, I've got. Tig and his friend from school and I are going out in two weeks. The boys trip. The boys trip, yeah. The teenage boys trip. Teenage so there'll be trip. there'll be a lot of eye rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten to that stage yet with the yeah. kids. Yeah. It's it's always so, a successful evening if you can get fifty eye rolls in an evening. Whatever, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Dad, you're so lame. <laughs> so lame. But you know what? You'll. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how cold you ride a bike in. You're gonna be lame. Right. Get so used lame. to it. You're such a nerd. You're gonna be lame. <laughs> such a nerd, <laughs> lame bike rider guy. I think it only. It. Not until I reached. Yeah, like. You know, maybe my forties that that because my dad was always he liked to race cross country skis and he was a bit crazy like that. Yeah, like you know, it didn't matter what temperature it was, it didn't matter what the weather was doing. He always walked all the time. He had a back injury, and so he had to walk. <clears throat> I think to keep from having to walk with a cane. But uh, he was, yeah, he was. Uh, he was a gnarly guy, and when I think back now, I, I I wrote him an email the other day just to thank him for because I think I I'm I'm becoming that a little bit now. Like you, you kind of discover yourself. <clears throat> I'm only talking from a male point of view right now, but just as you know, I just everybody personally needs a way to vent to get their wiggles out. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of the lone wolf of the family in terms of uh, how I get out and. And like, I'll just get on my bike and ride and camp and sleep on the ice. You know, I'm not the minus 30 guy yet, but I plan on it. I'm going to go out in some crazy conditions. Actually, I can't wait to yeah. start winter camping more. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, you know, we, we get enough winter that there's there's no point in wasting it. No, I know. And it, even if I can just get out a month. And, you know, we live, well, you guys are in Calgary, so you're close to the mountains. You know, yeah. I live right here. And, in the mountains. And where I went the, a couple of weeks ago, is it was 12K to where I slept and it's just like you can do that in the winter and even yep. if I had to walk up that road on the snowmobile tracks I could still do it or I could just stealth camp wherever there's so many yep. different places you could just dig a little trench and camp so you know it's it's just tough you know having a young family and and having trying to find the time to do it right yeah <clears throat> when when uh you know just our schedule is so busy but uh that, that's one of the things, you know, Tanya tells me if, if I want to go out, she'll she'll often say, well, which of the kids are you going to take with you? Right. Take one. Please. Just please take one. <laughs> take one of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> take Fiona, man. She's driving yeah. crazy. <laughs> she, she, oh, she's hardcore. Hey? She is I'll hardcore. Go. Yeah, awesome. no, she's, she's like, she'll be like, you know, I'll be tucking her in at night and she'll be like, dad, we should go bikepacking. That's wonderful. Yeah, no, she's she's very um, she's very enthusiastic about winter. Yeah, she's um, she's got a good head about her about you know choosing wisely, um, in terms of you know what to wear 
forgiving yeah, she's conditions. Learning from- she's good at she's good at stripping down layers when she gets hot, at putting on layers when she gets cold. And you know, you really see the experience. We went out with another dad and his uh his girl's four years younger than Fiona. And uh you, you could really tell the the experience gap there. Right. Where Fiona was kind of like the mentor. <laughs> and was the dad as say as experienced as you? Um, not quite. <clears throat> right. I mean, there's Yeah, so it just yeah, it it goes yeah. it's just experience, right? It, and, and that's it's the whole experience. thing. It's, it's like it's 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 camping in the winter to me was kind of scary and I didn't go in in the cold 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 of the winter but still just to get out and yeah. just to test some of your gear and I think it you overcome it's just a little stepping stone it's just like okay well I know what what this resulted in and yeah. then and then you can extrapolate gear you might need if it's 10 degrees colder absolutely or yeah. and, and you know when you reach a certain point it's no longer testing below minus 20 you, you can't be you have to be sure you have to be sure that you have you, you can test a sideline piece of gear but you can't your core gear you have to have what you know you can survive in minus 20 with plus some safety margin and right. then and then you can test other gear on the side right so what's like the most essential piece of gear if you had to pick say three things if I was going with three things, I would need a foam, not an inflatable camping mattress. I, I do bring an inflatable with me in addition. Right. But I would go foam like a Z-Rest, a Ridge Rest, or a blue camping foam. Right. doesn't matter which one. That would be my, my first essential piece of gear. So focusing more on quality sleep? Focusing more on quality insulating you from the ground. Right. So if you're injured, it's insulation ah, from the ground. Sleeping or not, you're just If you're sleeping, from. it's insulation from the ground. If you're standing around cooking, it's insulation from the ground. If you want to sit down, it, it's insulation from the ground. Multi-use. Yeah. Right. So what's the next piece? So then the, the next piece would have to be the, I would pick the quilt, um, over the sleeping bag as the second essential oh, piece of gear. And the reason for that is because the quilt spreads a little wider when it's open. So it can be, think of it as a cloak. Right. So you can wrap it around yourself. Wrap it around yeah. yourself. And right. it's it's a floor length coat right. that you can use as as like a cloak like you see in Game of Thrones. Right. And, and so... And so again, it's, you know, you know nothing, Jon Snow, except that you've got that wicked cloak, which is sleeping gear and walking around gear and getting yourself out um, alive. Yeah, because you could basically put the quilt around you and walk out with it around you to keep you warm. So you've got your, you know, your puffy or your hard shell and all that stuff on, then you've got the quilt over top. Yeah. Right. Number three. And number three, I would say, is um, a stove with the caveat that you need something to hold snow or water in with the stove. Right. So so if we can am- amalgamate those items, so a decent cook kit. Some, some sort of a decent way to create water or boil uh, creek water. Right. 
Um, and, and that's, that's a life-saving thing that's, you, you can't live without water. Um, and if you have water, you can clean wounds, you can, yeah. uh, drink, you can, if you have food, you can rehydrate food. Right. Um, so, you know, or even like put a bunch of warm water in a bottle and, and snuggle up with it, snuggle up with it or, right. or drink it. Uh, yeah, um, of course. You know, yeah. uh, drink, drink, although <laughs> to be fair, um, to warm your body up a single degree, you have to drink about seven liters. Oh, is that right? Of, of water, warm, of, of warm water? Of tea, of tea, of, of 70, tea? 70 degree water, which is about the warmest so you funny. can drink. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, warm liquids used to be the, the hypothermia treatment of choice until somebody did the math and realized that that really your body does even in a hypothermic state your body produces some heat yeah so if you can prevent that heat from going elsewhere then inside it. your body if you can keep that heat right. then you can you can survive much better and i guess a key thing all around that would be stay dry stay dry right and and avoid getting hypothermia in the first place right you know yeah those are cool uh, if you don't get tips. if you don't get it you you can't die of it so it's pretty i mean when you really break it down <clears throat> it's pretty minimal mm -hmm. the thing you need the, th the things you need to survive like you don't need a shelter you don't need a shelter in the winter it's not going to rain so you're not going to get soaking wet it, it could snow but and, you can and find the snow, shelter from the snow. You know, and, and the snow falling on you does wake you up at night. That's why I bring the tarp. Right. Um, you get a you get a kind of a lousy sleep with snow falling on your face. Yeah. Um, that said, you can often be in a tree well and get enough snow protection that it doesn't matter. Right. It won't wake you up. Yeah, that's good. That's good tips. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, those are great tips. That's awesome. What else are we going to talk about? Oh yeah, we already talked. You don't you don't run a dynamo, right, on your equipment? I don't. How do you keep all your your electronics going? Like, do you find the in inReach is pretty cold resistant? So the inReach is not not well. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not true. The inReach um, meets its its specification. It says that it's good to minus twenty, and it's good to minus twenty. Below minus twenty, it basically shuts itself off from time to time right like any battery operated <clears throat> yeah device. and and uh you know they, they don't claim otherwise and they're not wrong <laughs> right and yeah that's that's why you have to go and test this stuff right you yeah need, i call them shakedowns right you need to take your stuff out on a short shakedown ride or shake yeah. shakedown trip see just exactly what that and, stuff's capable. and that's part of the reason i lost it at minus 40 was because you know well, actually, by then it warmed up to minus thirty, but I still, but, <laughs> but I still didn't really feel like, you know, taking mittens off to operate zippers and stuff, and um, so um, I, I think I got it zipped into my jacket inadequately, and uh, so then either either I missed the pocket entirely because I had mittens on and I couldn't feel the pocket, yeah, or I. Um, I didn't zip it up correctly or I zipped up the wrong pocket. I'm not sure. Somehow. You fumbled it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's easy. Especially and when you're, was it, were you tired? Uh, not very. No, I, I had a good night's sleep. I, right. 
I like to, you know, I was, I was trying to push the pace a little bit, but I wasn't running at like full out race pace. Right. Um, partly because it was so cold and, and I didn't expect that anybody would, you know, if I had a heart attack, nobody was going to stumble across me and give me CPR. Right. Um, so, you know, I wanted to keep it well into the safety zone in terms of, you know, my power output. Right. So for the electronics, do you keep stuff like, um, so you keep spare batteries and whatnot, in, like against your skin? So, yeah, I keep, um, I have a, a little pack, a little Ziploc bag that I keep uh, spare batteries in. In your pants? Um, no, just <laughs> just against my chest. Right. Um, if, if they're in your pants, then they're interfering with your pedaling. Just and, kidding. And you're pushing. I thought um, this Sella Anatomica was supposed to be a comfortable saddle. I'm sitting yes, on all these batteries. Yes, I don't know. And, and it's still uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I got to break mine in. I haven't broken mine in yet. Yeah, you know, I been waiting for it to dry up a little bit. Yeah, the 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 uh, those guys were were not really. They didn't require much break in for me. Oh no, no, um, they they were pretty good. I haven't been riding with the chamois since the BC Epic because I wore two holes in my butt. Like literally, yeah, two holes in my bum, and I, I, I said, you know what? It's I don't like wearing a chamois anymore. <laughs> I don't I'm, like I'm it. not, I'm not convinced that I, I haven't been convinced that chamois are a good idea. Um, I, I had some pretty severe saddle, saddle sores on the ITI, and um, and I had um, I had bib shorts actually, which was a poor choice. Oh, and the bibs are supposed to be the the. Yeah. isn't it right everyone's like oh yeah i gotta get the bibs well and and they're good because because they they hold up you know i i don't have i don't have much of a of a butt <laughs> to hold my my Doug, pants Doug's up kind of skinny yeah i i get a bit of a uh you know creeping downward plumber <laughs> butt as they call it and uh plumber butt and and remounting a fat bike in the snow or a or a skinny bike in the snow is yeah. It's really difficult. Your doesn't work. Crotch your trousers hangs up on the front of your seat, and then you can't get on. And so, if you're, uh, this is just more a personal question, but that that saddle, do you do you really protect it from the water as much as they say you should? Um, mine, I didn't really, but I think we've talked about this. The the, the cell anatomica didn't really work for me in that it it wore out in. Oh, wore through its stretch. Oh, I wonder. Yeah, because I, I, I I'm hoping up. for your sake that the newer ones, you know, and and I really hope in six months you report back to me. Hey, Doug, I've got you know ten thousand kilometers right. on this thing, yeah, and, and it's still time. And it's still good as new. Um, I think it is thicker. I think the, I, the lamination's thicker. Yeah, and and I'm hoping that has totally fixed it. I and, hope so. Uh, but my vintage of uh, of experience with them uh, was not that great, so I actually went on a recommendation from uh, uh, Scott Felter from Porcelain Rocket. Yeah, yeah. He really Scott. likes those SDG uh, Bel Air saddles, which are like twenty bucks. What really? <laughs> I maybe not twenty bucks, but they're they're cheap. Like, they're under fifty bucks, and they're they're super flat. And so they make contact with my tailbones and nothing else. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Are they, are they a leather or are they a, um, 
you know, nylon or whatever. Um, they, they've got a, whatever, uh, I, I think it's leather on the main part of the saddle and then, hmm. uh, patches of nylon on the back and whatnot. Yeah. This is the first leather saddle I've ever owned. So, uh, yeah, a couple people, um, Tim Johnson bought one as well. I don't know if he's been using his, but, uh, I think that I bought, I'm kind of, um, I'm about 185, 190. And yeah. I think I, instead of buying the medium, which I think went up to like 195 or something, I yeah. bought I bought the stiffer one. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll last that sag. I did that intentionally because, yeah. you know, you put on five pounds over the winter or 10 pounds over the winter, and then suddenly you, you exceed the capacity for that saddle and then you're stretching it out. And I, totally. want, it to, I want it to last. But yeah. I'm really because that that was a huge setback. That was the biggest setback on that race was was uh, that oh yeah discomfort of being worn away. I didn't get sores. I didn't get any infection, but just but still, if your oh butt God, is chafed or uh, raw or you know, you know if you if you can't comfortably sit, it's not the side. soreness either. It's like yeah. it's not the sit bone it's soreness. It's bit. it's the actual wounds that you're inflicting on your taint yes <laughs> it's horrible yeah. yeah so hopefully i get over that it'll be good yeah i've i've really uh historically i've really liked the brooks saddles and yeah. um i i still own several but i don't think they're really suitable for bike packing in any kind of remote regions i've i've broken down two of them oh in, yeah in the back country they are a bit high maintenance right yeah, yeah. and and the, the rivets you blow on a rivet no the rails are um, oh you bend them the rails are intended to be um fairly compliant on purpose right on purpose yeah and that makes the saddle more comfortable with the uh, hard leather top but um that also makes it more fragile and so yeah one of the trips i'd been dropped off by a float plane um in at the start of a what was intended as a seven-day trip and uh yeah my saddle broke uh, about three minutes oh into my the trip. gosh no way my saddle rail broke and i i did manage to i cut a tent peg in half <laughs> and i i created a, a sandwich to to brace the rails in place and then i I uh, epoxied the uh, the rails. Oh, you didn't do this on the trail. I did this on the trail. So you had epoxy with you. I, I had epoxy with me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's being prepared. Yeah. What I fix frames with that and yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. That was the intent was to fix a, you know, if I broke a frame, um, you can wedge a, a dowel in there right. and. Uh, and epoxy that and Jam wrap a sapling wire. in there and you, then like, you wrap some wire around the around the edge that's fantastic just some shifter cable or brake cable or whatever so add that to your pack list everyone epoxy epoxy yeah <laughs> yeah the, the little tiny um little tubes. syringes eh the, well i know the syringes are uh, are are kind of weighty but uh, the little tubes of um jb weld oh jb weld of course because it, yeah. it comes in the little tubes as right. well as the the uh the normal size that you know some people use jb weld every day yeah (laughs) (laughs) constantly fixing stuff with gorilla tape and jb weld yeah well man i want to thank you i think we're we've we've covered a lot of material it's almost we're almost three hours in yeah i might put it all up actually because it's been really great i really enjoyed talking to you 
you've got a, a lot of, yeah, if, if you want to shorten it, it feel free. No, man. <laughs> my, my whole logic behind the podcast thing is the longer the better. So I, I like, uh, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts. I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, probably uh, the Bike Pack podcast and the Bike Town podcast. And um, the, odd, the odd time, oh, Family Bike. Family. Okay. These are good recommendations for everybody. It's not called Family Bike. It's called, I'm going to have to look that one up. It's okay. That's it's probably like, enough. People could look up yeah. family bike packing or biking and find it. Family biking, yeah. It's, it's those those are primarily focused on on urban cycling, and um, yeah, I mean they're they're great. I um, I talked mostly about um, you know biking around town with the kids in the cargo bike back then. Right. Yeah, and, the cargo bike's cool. <laughs> no, I just like them long because you know if you're going to go on a trip. You're gonna head out for even even a training ride or something. Yeah, you just set it and forget it. You have, oh yeah, you know two or three hours or to listen to whatever. And I think a lot of the information in here was so good, and you you were so fun to talk to and listen to. So yeah, <laughs> you were. It was really great. Thanks. I'm really glad glad we hooked up. This was fantastic. Uh, it didn't work out at the at the Fat Bike Summit. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm really really happy that we got to chat. Um, where can people find you? Uh, Coldbike.com has my blog, my store where I sell pogies, my... Yeah, check out the store. There's some really cool stuff on there. Yeah. And then um, the um, the other end is uh, pretty much all the social media. I'm Coldbike. I'm Coldbike on Twitter. I'm Coldbike on Instagram. I'm Coldbike on Facebook. I'm... Uh, Anywhere else on cold bike? Cold bike everywhere. Cold bike on uh, Reddit. Oh, Reddit. You're all over the place. I'm all over the place. That's crazy. I That's do awesome. everything. Well, thanks a lot. I hey. dabble in all the social media. <laughs> I, I, it, hasn't, I always, it hasn't stolen your soul yet. I always joke that um, for a guy, so, so I don't own a cell phone. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and I, um, my, my, um, a totally unverified claim to fame is that I have the most uh, Instagram and Twitter followers of any non cell phone owning person. <laughs> that's how many followers do you have? I don't know, like eight, eight or nine hundred on. Oh, that's list. great. Yeah, that's we got to get you more. So everyone follow at Cold Bike, wherever, awesome. wherever you can find them. Thanks a lot, man. All right, it's fantastic. Back to you later. <laughs> hey, hey. Are you still with me? That was an epic conversation, man. That was awesome. I hope you learned a little something from that chat. I think the biggest takeaway for me was just to get out there and do it. Life is short, so get out there. You don't have to go far to have an awesome adventure. And no matter what happens, you'll come back a better version of yourself. I guess we were kind of short on that three-hour mark. So sorry, false advertising. <laughs> so thanks for joining me. And don't forget to reach out to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com and tell me what you're up to. So get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down. <laughs>